It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. What are you talking about? No, it's not him. There's only one more. There is only one more. There is, that's, that's it. One more. Get it right. No. They saw your team put up zero effort. Wake up. Remember in the old days, they used to have oxygen for them. Where's the oxygen? They play like absolute just garbage. <laughs> this is the Sports Loud Mouth. Yay. Man. Can you keep it down? I'm trying to introduce here. With Errol Marks and Speedy Beanie. You're not even a has-been. You're a never was. You're a never was. Welcome, never welcome, was. welcome to a new show of the Sports Limehouse. I'm your host, Errol Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Tuesday and Thursday at 9 p.m., you can call us at 631-672-3108 is the number to call. And remember, ladies and gentlemen, you can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app on iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Speedy Petey, what is going on, my friend? Feeling a little better. Wasn't wasn't feeling too well yesterday, but really? feeling better now. Uh, happy Mother's Day to my mother and all the grandmothers and mothers of my family and all the mothers granny. that are that are listening out there happy granny, mother's day to all of you, you? <laughs> no i would never speak in that kind of voice but well happy mother's day to all the mothers out there all the mothers that have been there for all their children all the mothers that have been there for all their families we really appreciate everything that all the moms around the country do for not only their children but for for everybody that's involved with those families so Thank you. Happy Mother's Day to all mommies. Anyways, we have a great show lined up for you guys tonight. At 945, we'll be talking to president of PrimetimeSportsTalk.com, Johnny Black. He'll be joining us. Uh, we'll talk a little MLB, a fantasy baseball, and some a little bit, a little touch of fantasy football. So we'll get into that with him at 945. And at 1030, we'll be talking to NFL Draft Bible Assistant Scouting Director and writer, Jack Borowski. He'll be joining us, so that'll be interesting. Uh, a lot of NFL, and there's a lot to talk about with the NFL, as Tom Brady gets a new contract. And by the way, this contract goes on after he retires, whenever that happens. <laughs> he gets he signs a deal with Fox Sports for 10 years, $375 million. Tom Brady, who's never done broadcasting in his complete life, has just signed a contract that high. So congratulations to Tom. He will be making more money as a broadcaster than he ever made as a professional football player. So congratulations to Tom. Uh, so pretty much all his children are just going to get into the industry. They're not going to ever be spent time with him otherwise. Why not? I mean, it's Tom Brady, uh, as people call him the GOAT. So why not uh, him make uh, $375 million as people like us trying to get our feet in the door of the industry? Tom Brady is already in the industry. So thank you, Tom. Uh, two years probably left of a professional football. He doesn't seem like he's retiring anytime soon. And you heard what he said uh, when he signed that contract that he has a lot to do more on the field before he ever steps in the booth. So I expect Tom Brady to be uh, an NFL player for at least two more years. So there you go with Tom. So we'll get into that a little bit later. Islanders. Yes, some Islanders hockey as a surprise. They fire their head coach, Barry Trotz. 
it, it's very interesting. We'll get into what, uh, obviously, what Lou Lamarillo said at his press conference and why, and, and really argue why the, the New York Islands decided to part ways with their head coach. Um, the Rangers struggles. We'll get into that as well against Pittsburgh. Uh, down 3-1. What does that tell you about this team and moving forward in the offseason if they do get eliminated by Pittsburgh, losing to a, an older, uh, obviously more mature hockey team, but a lot of people thought they were the benefit of the doubt, uh, more talented team uh, in this uh, this series, and, and they're completely getting dominated by Sidney Crosby and the Pittsburgh Penguins. So we'll get into that. Uh, should Jokic... Have won the MVP a lot of people on social media, including the Philadelphia 76ers and their teams crying that Joel Embiid got robbed. Okay, so we will get into that a little bit on the, a little bit later in the show and why uh, you can argue that Joel Embiid might have gotten, you know, robbed. Or some people think Jokic had just as good a season as Joel Embiid, even though he was a 16 in the Western Conference. So we'll weigh in why. Uh, the NBA decided to go with Jokic. Um, Jacob DeGrom is now transferred to a 60-day DL list. What does that tell you? That Jacob DeGrom could be back, could be back very, very soon. Uh, I, I've been hearing that he could be back early June. So that's a good sign for the New York Mets as they're playing great baseball. You add one of the best pitchers in baseball to this roster. Uh, watch out for that rotation. And we'll get into a little bit of NBA and NHL playoffs. And the New York Jets are right now negotiating a deal with a very well-known defensive lineman. And we'll get into that a little bit later in the show as well. So why don't we get into, well, we'll get into hockey first because it's been the talk of the town. And by the way, the, the Carolina Panthers right now are up 3 to nothing going into the third period against yours truly the Boston Bruins. So we'll see if Boston can come back. Right now, the series is tied 2-2. Two to two. Boston came back from a 2-0 deficit. They're playing great hockey. Uh, Swayman has been unbelievable in the last two games at home. Uh, they go back to Carolina, and now they're down 3-0 uh, going into the third period. So we'll get into that uh, as the, the game completely is over. We will talk about that. And right now, second period, it's 2-1 to one, Tampa over Toronto, which the series is tied 2-2. So uh, a lot of people think this could be Toronto series. It looks like Tampa could have the best of the, the worthless Toronto Maple Leafs. The Toronto Maple Leafs never win a series until they actually win a series. Maybe the, the whole jinx is John Tavares. I mean, seriously. I mean, that doesn't really account for the, for the previous 15 years, but okay. The last five, yeah. You I'm could sorry. See. Uh, by the way, I called them the Carolina Panthers. I'm sorry, Jeff. The Carolina Hurricanes. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> well, both, are, both Carolina and the Panthers are tied 2-2. Two to two. Well, whatever. I, I meant the Hurricanes. I, I, keep, I keep thinking the, the Panthers. Because, You're going to have a hard time if they beat the Eastern Conference Finals. Could you imagine? <laughs> yeah, I, You're absolutely right. But anyways, uh, why don't we get into the Barry Trot story? Because over the last couple of days, a lot of Islander fans all over social media seem to attack Lou Lamorello and what he decided to do in the last 48 hours and fire Barry Trotz. Now, I know a lot, of, a lot of Islander fans are sitting here right now and probably saying, Lou Lamorello doesn't know what he's doing. Lou Lamorello is, uh, is an idiot. This is the same Lou Lamorello that won three Stanley Cups with the, the New Jersey Devils. This is the same Lou Lamorello that won 
he's a two-time GM of the year since he's taken over the New York Giants. I mean, the New York Islanders. I'm sorry. Guys, I've been dealing with a lot of stuff uh, in my family situation. So I've been out all day. So I, I'm, I'm all over the place. But uh, the New York Islanders. And, and you look at right now where the Islanders are as an organization. They're a team that's built to win now. Uh, they have a bunch of good young players. Lou Lamorello signed Practically all the players in the offseason, they signed their two top defensemen and Pulak and Pelic to an eight-year extension. Uh, they, they gave Barzell two years ago an extension of three years. And, and, and to me, right now, going into the offseason, the Islanders are practically set for next year. So people are saying, well, are they rebuilding? Why did they fire Barry Trotz? Are they starting to believe that they're going to rebuild? Are they going to trade off pieces? And the answer is, it's not what it looks like. Lou Lamorello, over the years, if you remember with the New Jersey Devils, besides besides uh, Lemire that was there for all those years, he had many different coaches coaching that team, if you remember. And Robinson was there. Uh, there was just so many different coaches over there. Uh, but their championship years, it was one coach. I believe that Lou Lamorello, and I know there were stories coming out from the Islanders organization that the reason, one of the main reasons why Lou, Lam- Lou Lamorello fired Barry Trotz was because he didn't play the younger players. Probably could be true. I don't know if it is true. But if you think of where this, this organization is as, as the Islanders are moving forward in the offseason, are they ready to win now? And last year, and going into this year, they were the favorites of winning the whole thing, the Stanley Cup. Everybody, every analyst, Sports Illustrated, uh, the Hockey Digest, everybody had the Islanders going to the Stanley Cup and winning the championship. They added Chara. They added, obviously, Zach Parisi. They still had practically all their players uh, going all the way to the Eastern Conference Championship back-to-back years. So everybody thought they were one, they were one goal away from knocking off the Tampa Bay Lightning and probably would have won the Stanley Cup against the Montreal Canadiens last year. So going into the season, Barry Trotz, one of the great coaches in the NHL, and what everybody thought with the team adding a little bit more, uh, adding the veteran uh, talent that they added with Chara, big man who's won a Stanley Cup with the Boston Bruins. And then obviously adding Zach Parisi, who was a part of those devil teams, was a part of uh, the Minnesota Wild, a leader, a goal scorer, one of the great American-born players. So we sit here today at the press conference, and the press asked Lou Lamorello, why did you fire Barry Trotz? And he says, I'm not willing to release any information of that magnitude. Next question. Because honestly, when you look at the big picture, and you look at where the Islanders are as an organization, they're ready to win now. They want to win now. And maybe, just maybe, Lou Lamorello didn't believe that Barry Trotz was the guy to take him to the promised land. Now, I talked to Jeff, who is talking crap on the feed right now, like always. Yep. He's a pain in the ass, but whatever. I talked to Jeff the other day, 
And he said something very interesting to me, which I would agree with him. Why would anybody question Lou Lamorello? Lou Lamorello is a born winner. Everywhere he's gone, everything that he's done has won everywhere he's been. And Barry Trotz, as good as he is as a head coach, and I think he's one of the best coaches in the NHL, he's only won one Stanley Cup in the time that he's been a head coach in the NHL. So I know Islander fans want to throw Lou Lamorello off a bridge and say this guy doesn't know what the hell he's doing. He's washed up. I remember Yankee fans saying before the season started that Brian Cashman is a washed up GM. And he doesn't know what he's doing. And they need to get rid of him. Meanwhile, right now, the New York Yankees have the best record in baseball. So what does that tell you, Speedy? It tells you that experienced executives that have had a great track record, like Brian Cashman and Lou Lamorello, will still find great gems to make it work. And that is what Lou Lamorello will do. He's not going to do this kind of thing without a plan. Whatever data, whatever information ends up being released about why Barry Trotz either got fired or any had to step away for something like that, it might be personal. Maybe it's something that... Barry Trotz did not want to reveal to the media. Maybe it's something, a, a family matter. Maybe it's something where he wants to go coach somewhere else closer closer to a family member. We don't know. It could be something where... I don't think so. This had a lot to do with Lou, Lou Lamorello. I, I think Lou decided that it just wasn't working. The four years that he was there, which has been a successful four years, two Eastern Conference championships... And, and and every single year they made the playoffs, so you have to look at it. And besides this year, this was the only year they right. didn't make the playoffs. But also the COVID situation this year, uh, the the home situation, not having a home exactly. for eleven thousand miles until the second uh, second month of the season, that affected the Islanders. Uh, possibly making the playoffs. But also, in the second half, when they started playing good hockey, why were they playing the veteran players? Why was Chara playing more than Dobson? Why was Zach Parisi playing more than Wallstrom? Two very good young players for the New York Islanders. And obviously, the organization wanted to see these young players develop. So next year, when they're going to be looking, obviously, in the free agency, who they're going to bring in, what offensive player is going to play with Barzell, or maybe they don't need to bring in a, a, um, a free agent of uh, Philip Forsberg talent. Maybe Oliver Wallstrom is the answer on the Barzell line. But we won't know that because Wallstrom, instead of playing 25, 30 minutes a game, he's only playing 18, 17 minutes under Barry Trotz's offense. Now, I don't know if that's all true. I don't know if that's exactly why he was fired. But also, Lou Lamorello is 80 years old. Lou wants to win now. And maybe Lou just doesn't think that this team is going to win. They're not going to get over the hump with Barry Trotz. They need somebody to open up this offense. Remember, the Islanders were one of the worst offensive teams this year in the whole NHL. So maybe Lou thinks bringing in another voice in that locker room, a younger voice, could help this team or give this team a boost where next year, if they're a playoff contending team, 
where they can take it to that next level where they can make the Stanley Cup. You wonder maybe, too, like a system kind of type thing, if Barry Trotz really got this defense going to the point where they can do well, not necessarily with any other coach because Trotz's system is still amazing, but can still do top 10 type numbers with Sorokin taking the step he did this year being a fantastic goaltender and still try to make it work with an offensive guy. Maybe that's the direction they go in. Maybe also Lou Lamorello has a hunch. Maybe there's another coach that is a big name that maybe is going to be more on the market than we realize, too. Because, again, like you were saying, Lou Lamorello is too smart to just fire a guy impulsively. So there has to be something else that is making it like that where Barry Trotz just became available that quickly. It has to be either something maybe he's contemplating retirement. Maybe, again, maybe there's a job that he thinks will be open. Or maybe there's a coach that he thinks fits better. I don't know. But it's definitely some bizarre circumstances for sure that Barry Trotz gets fired this quickly like he did. Then there's the Rangers, ladies and gentlemen. If anybody's watching this Pittsburgh Penguins-Rangers series, well, Ranger fans before the series started were all bragging about this team. This could be the year. This team could go to the Stanley Cup Finals. They have the best goalie in the NHL. They have arguably the best defense in the NHL. They have arguably the best defenseman in the NHL. They had one of the best goal scorers in the NHL. And Chris Kreider. And then you've watched them in this series against a third-string goaltender. Not a first-string, not a second-string, but a third-string goalie. And they have been having problems. And I, by the way, I was with Tyler yesterday, and I, I didn't want to hear any excuses from Tyler yesterday telling me, well, Dominguez playing well, and the Rangers just don't. They're not getting enough offense from Zibidijad. It Stop with the excuses. I have told Ranger fans before this team was built by, I guess, John Davidson slash Chris Drury. I have said this. The Rangers are not a gritty defensive team. They have never been a gritty defensive team. They have guys like Schneider, a young player. Miller, a young player. Fox, a young player. Truba, an overrated, overpaid player. And they built this team around youth. And that's great. But you're not going to win in the playoffs without forechecking. You're not going to win in the playoffs if your goaltender, your star goaltender, can't stop pucks from going in the net. And I don't want to hear from Tyler Harrison, like yesterday, saying that's to Storkin. Has played great in this series. Because honestly, I know it's his first playoffs. That's fine. I know, I know, I heard from the B today. He's saying that the defense is not protecting in front of the net, which is fine. We have seen many goaltenders amongst the years of the NHL have terrible defenses. And goaltenders, aka Henrik Lundqvist, That stood on his head to keep his team in those games. And I'm sorry, Ranger fans. The Rangers' young goalie is not Henrik Lundqvist. Game three. There was a lot of problems with the way they approached the offensive side of the puck in particular. Outside of the three, the young kids, Kako, Lafreniere, and Heedle, they all played well. 
Everyone else either was shooting impulsively or shooting on such bad angles, almost taking Louis Domingue for granted. And that's not a good approach. You have all this depth. You bring in all these free agent uh, trade deadline signings, trades that have played well throughout the regular season to get you to this home series, this home ice advantage that you had on the Penguins. This was the matchup that you were targeting to get home ice. And then all of a sudden, these guys just forget how to play smart hockey. You always play hard. You always say play smarter, not harder in the playoffs. But you're right. They do have to play with a better forecheck too. The defense got passive all of a sudden, where they're missing a lot of these assignments, and the Penguins are just letting them steal the puck all the time. The Penguins, who are not a physical team themselves, are stealing the puck, blocking shots. Actually, look like they have a good forecheck. It is just not the way that you should be approaching this game. Game three, they. Their offensive approaches from the individuals were terrible. Game four, I thought the game plan was just terrible. Like, they didn't even possess the puck at all. And they were just th- throwing soft shots, bad shots on Deming. Just just saying, all right, oh, he's a third-string goalie. We'll just hope our defense plays well. Well, your defense didn't play well either. Adam Fox probably had the worst game of his career in game four. And Keandre Miller, Jacob Trouba, all those guys were not much better. So... That one I blame on the game planning, but it was just all collapsed effort outside of the three kids. And Braden Schneider, I think, has played well, but that's really it. Cry me a river when uh, the chants are coming from the uh, the the fans. Igor, Igor. I listen to it. To me, I've I've seen this many, many years with Martin Brodeur, with the Ranger fans. Brodeur still played well. Patrick Waugh over the years in the 90s when people were chanting his name in the game when he played for Montreal. And even when he went to Colorado, the chants were coming. It didn't hurt him. It didn't affect him. But for some reason, Ranger fans are screaming and yelling all over social media. Why are they screaming his name? This guy was the best goalie in the NHL during the regular season. Don't you guys get it? It doesn't matter what you do in the regular season. It doesn't. You can have the best save percentage. You can have the best goals against average. You can have the most wins in the NHL. If you don't play well in the playoffs, nobody gives a crap. The other problem, too, is it just seems like these guys aren't playing with a lot of effort either. And that's a big problem for any sport. You could just you could have all the talent in the world. If you don't play hard, that's going to look bad, too. They look uninspired when they were down by two goals a lot of the time. Even just two goals. We've seen teams come back in the playoffs down two goals. We've seen teams come back in the playoffs down three goals. The Rangers almost did it in Game 3. They tied the game 4-4, four to four, and then they just looked lost after that. They have looked lost in this whole series. And now they're down 3-1. to one, And Ranger, now all of a sudden, the Ranger fans that were saying, Oh my God, we have a chance to win a Stanley Cup. We could go to the Eastern Conference Finals. We could beat the Boston Bros. We could beat the Carolina Hurricanes. We can beat the Pittsburgh Penguins, and it's going to be an easy series. Now all of a sudden it's down 3-1, to one, and they're done. It's over. The series is over. All the Ranger fans have given up on the New York Rangers, even though, even though they're going back home. And, and we have seen teams come back from a 3-1 deficit in the NHL playoffs. But Ranger fans are saying it's all over. And what are Ranger fans going to say if they tie this series and go back to New York? What are they going to say then? And what happens if the Rangers come back and win this series against the Pittsburgh Penguins? What are they going to say then? They're going to beat the Boston Bruins? They're going to beat the Carolina Hurricanes? It is ridiculous. And that just shows you. This is what shows you. This is why, out of all the sports in New York, I hate the Ranger fans. I despise the Ranger fans. Because the Ranger fans, if you, you never hear this from an Islander fan. 
The Islanders could be down 3-0, and the Islander fans think they're going to come back. They never say this series is over. But for some reason, all over social media right now, we might as well do a backspin or a backswim or a paddle, get a paddle boat and let's swim to shore because the Rangers are done. Paddle swim. Yes, that sounds like the Rangers melted ice at Madison Square Garden for game five. Let's uh, just give up. We might as well give it to the Pittsburgh Penguins. It's over. The series is over. Give up, Ranger fans. It's done. Stuck says, why are we discussing how well the Bruins looked at home over the weekend? Yeah, we'll get to that later. Uh, Jeff says, for nothing Hurricanes now. Uh, Carl says, Rangers, haha, Tyler. And the third stringer isn't like Dominic Hasek was for the Blackhawks back in the day. Nope. No, I didn't even realize that. Uh, Carl says, no excuses. Didn't Corey Crawford win a title with the Blackhawks yep. at his first playoffs? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Stuck says, I enjoy a passionate speedy Petey. And uh, we have Jeff on the line now. What's up, Jeff? How are you, Errol? I am happy to have you I'm, on. What's up, man? I'm I'm very glad that you listen to the two dumbest people in New York, <laughs> in the Beeve and Tyler Harrison, for all of your things, Rangers. <laughs> right? Like that you couldn't pick two bigger dummies than those two to listen to. Listen, it's over. The Rangers are trash. They've all been jacking each other off about how good this team is, and they're getting body bagged by a third-string goalie. Not Tristan Jarry, their first stringer. Not Mike DeSmith, their second stringer. They got this guy off the trash heap and threw him in net and said, no problem, we'll still beat the Rangers. You know why? Because they suck. Well, I don't think they stink. I think they are a very talented they team. They they right do. now, They're they suck. They're getting body-bagged by a third string. Well, here's They're the thing. absolutely body-bagged. Here's the thing. I think Zabitijad <clears throat> is their best player, best all-around player. Zabitijad has completely disappeared in this series. He has done nothing in this series. Because he's weak. And then you have Panarin, who everybody thinks is one of the best goal scorers, one of the best offensive players in the NHL. He's who always— hasn't been the same since Tom Wilson dumped him on his mullet. Well, maybe that's true. I mean, he had a good season. I mean, he didn't score as many goals as he usually does, but he still had like 80 points this year. That's not too shabby for a great offensive player. But to me, what I have seen with this Ranger team is they've depended all year. But he's on- not But he's not great, though. You can't. We need to stop calling Artemi Panarin great. We need to stop doing this. We need to, like, like people need to put on their reality glasses and see it for what it is, right? Did he do anything ever with the Columbus Blue Jackets? No, nothing. Great. You, you can score a, a shit ton of times on a bad team. Good for you, right? And he, and he certainly, you know, put up some points with the Rangers. But it, when, it, when it comes down to it and it was time to fight back, he hasn't ever done it. You want a real leader? Look at the Boston Bruins being down 0-2 and Patrice Bergeron saying, you know what, I got this. That's what a real leader is. That's what a, what a real do- – has Artemi Panarin ever done anything like that? No. So we need to stop saying that he's a great player because guess what? He's not. Well, also, a lot of the Ranger fans, they've been, one. They've been preaching how great Igor Shostorkin is. How great of a goaltender he is, how dominant he's been all season long, and that the Rangers have one of the best defensive teams in the NHL on paper. But I have told Ranger fans, and Speedy can he could say this, and he knows that I've been talking about this before the season started. It doesn't matter what the paper says. When it comes to the playoffs, you have to play a different style of defense. <laughs> 
That's that's the Dallas Cowboys argument of thinking. Oh, well, we got a good team on paper. Yeah, great. They don't play together. They don't. Right. right? And just because you just because you have a top line of like Kreider, Zabinajad, Panarin doesn't make you a four-line team. The the Penguins may not have as many big names outside of what, like Sidney Crosby or Chris Letang. Those are like their two big players. Malkin too. Well, Mal, right, okay, Malkin, but the, the Rangers probably have more big names, right? You can yeah. go Fox, Panarin, Zabinajad, Kreider, like those kind of, like, they have more bigger, but the Penguins are playing better team hockey. And you know what the, You know what superstars don't ever really do, and Panarin especially, he never really plays team hockey, which is what wins in the playoffs. I agree with you, and, and, and again, I, I told this to the beef. And their today. fans are mouth breathers. Can uh, stop no, with uh, the Rangers fans? They're all the worst. But they're, the they Ranger are the worst. Fans are a collection of the worst people on the planet. I don't know about the worst people. I think they're. I've never been fans of their <clears throat> fan, their fandom, especially when you go to Madison Square Garden and the craziness over there. I I don't respect the Ranger fans because they completely when when the Rangers are winning, they're on they're on the bandwagon. When they start to lose, they completely give up on their team. I have never, right, and, I'm, and, I'm an, and I am an Islander fan. I have never seen the Islander fan. And this is the truth. The Islanders, I've seen it for the last two years. When the Islanders were down in the second, what was it, the second round? When they were down 2-1, to one or th- it was 2-1. Two 2-1 to one. Two to one of the Bruins. 2-1 yeah. to one against the Bruins. And everybody said, it's over. There's no way the, the Islanders are coming back. The Bruins are going to take over this, this series. And what did the Islanders do? The Islander fans never... Never quit on their team. I never heard that it's over, the Bruins are going to win. But again, that specific team was a four-line team. They had good four good lines. They might not have had names like four lines deep, but they were a four-line team that played terrific together as a team, and they overcame a a very good team in Boston. They did. This Ranger team is not four lines deep. It's not. No, it isn't. And And listen, a lot of people... We're very excited for what Chris Jury did in the offseason. They added Reeves, added all this, uh, these mean players. Where is the mean players in this series? The, right now, the Penguins are throwing the Rangers around, forechecking them all over the ice, and you, all you see is a bunch of you know white jerseys all over the ice. You know how many times do you see the Penguins on the fall, on the ice? I, they've, they're swarming. They're stealing the puck. They're forechecking. They're they're keeping the puck in on the on the blue line all the time too. Like, they're even beating up their goaltender. I mean. I caught her throwing Shostarkin around. I mean, well, don't don't you feel this Ranger team is a perfect representation of their fan base, pompous and soft? That's what their fan base is, pompous I, and soft. I, I here's the thing. I don't think that this team is soft. I just think that this team they are soft. That right you're now they're soft. Hit by the, you're getting out hit by the Pittsburgh Penguins, dude. You're getting out out hit by a team led by Sidney Crosby, who's one of the softest people on the planet. It's true. He is one of the softest p- people on the planet. And I will say this: I, I know Ranger fans are blaming the refs on why the they're down three to one. I, and maybe they could have won game number one if that goal was counted, but that's not an excuse. You can't sit here today and say that's why the Rangers are down three to one. The Rangers are down three to one right now is because because e- Igor Shosturkin has not been very good in this series. Chris Kreider, who's been a fifty goal scorer this year, has really not done what they expected him to do in this series. And the only two players that really have stood out so far in this series is in this series is their two young defensemen in Fox and Jake. T. Miller. That's it. Well, That's well, what it. Makes, well, what makes a great player great, right? And I'm clearly asking a rhetorical question because I'll give you the answer. 
A great player is considered great when the moment gets bigger and he rises to the occasion. Would you guys agree with that? Yes. Isn't that what may, has yeah. made all the great? Right. And all of their guys who they think that are great, the Panarins, the Criders, the Zabinijah, Shesterkin, oh, we love Shesterkin. Guess what? They're shrinking in the moment, aren't they? Yeah, and Kreider especially has played well in past playoffs. He's been probably their best playoff player for the Rangers. Maybe besides Zuccarello, he was always good in the playoffs too. But and they're shrinking now. Yeah, moment. now all of a sudden in a bigger role, he's been he's been. I mean, he's been fine shooting the puck. I get it. He's a fifty goal scorer, but he's not even going back to the other things that got him good to the previous point. He's always been a great passer, hitter, stuff like that. We haven't seen that. Panarin, I think, has been kind of hesitant to shoot more often, which is, is the opposite of what the other players are doing, which is not his style either, and maybe not scoring so all those describing- goals in the regular season. So what you're describing is he's shrinking in the moment. Yeah, it seems that way, especially especially just mentally. I think they've just been overthinking things a lot of the time against a third-string goalie just because they're in. They're shooting at such bad angles all the time. And look at the Penguins, what they're doing. They're trying to throw off Shesterkin. They're having a good game plan of not shooting right away, getting good deflections, stuff like that. By the way, I want to crea- I, I correct myself. Ke'Andre Miller, he's, I call him KT Miller. Ke'Andre Miller has been fantastic in this series. And, and 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 obviously Fox has been fantastic in this series, but they're not being they're not a very good team defensive team, and and we have seen this before with the Rangers. The Rangers are not, and and, and everybody likes everybody likes what Gerard Gallant has done. And he might be coach of the year. He could be coach of the year for what he's done with this Ranger team. But guess what? If you look at Gerard Gallant going into this series, he was only two games out of five, uh, up a uh, uh, five hundred right now in the in the playoffs. Now after losing these three games and only lost one, he has he has a He's a winning loss record. I think he's 55 and 55 in the playoffs in his career. That is not a good record when it comes to uh, a winning, you know, or you know, winning coach. Now Barry Trotz, go look at Barry Trotz's record in the playoffs. Barry Trotz thinks too. We've been over this. No, but no, no, Barry Trotz no has a coach. winning record. He has a winning record Dude, in the playoffs. No coach has done less with more. No one. No one's done less with more. If you gave me uh, Backstrom and Oshie, and Ovechkin, and all of the great players they have. And, and I'm going to throw Tom Wilson in there because as dirty as he is, he's still a very good player, right? Like, they've had uh, Kuznetsov and all kinds of great players. And and they never really won it. They won one time. They got body bagged by Pittsburgh themselves a shit ton of times. Yeah, they did. No one has done No one has done Barry Trotz, Barry no Trotz, Barry Trotz's career record in the playoffs, and this is a fantastic – 152 and 102 and third. Right. That's a and great. Managed, and he always managed to lose the It, big it doesn't okay. matter. Washington's done that with other coaches, too. It's not just trots. That, but, that but, record but, in the name, playoffs is fantastic. Name, name another team that had that many good star players on but their team. The but that's not, what, that's, not, that's not our argument now, Jeff. We understand how good his team was, but we've seen many good teams. Many good teams, and they can't win. They can't get over the hump. Not, the Rangers, not with, not with, the Rangers are a good team. The Rangers are a good team. They're not winning. Barry Trotz is the most over. He spent forever in Nashville, and that team couldn't win either. He, dude, he he lucked his way into a Stanley Cup. Thank God he had probably the best goal scorer in the modern era, right? And and still only won one time. Again, Barry Trotz is overrated. Trust that, Lou Lamorello that, on this one. Trust I'm, I'm Lou not. Lamorello. I'm not saying that I don't trust Lou to go <clears throat> on with another coach. Maybe he lost his voice. In, in the locker room. And we heard that Oliver Wallstrom, you know, he thanked Barry Trotz before Barry Trotz got uh, fired a couple of weeks ago. He thanked for ba- he thanked Barry Trotz of being hard on him all season long. But obviously, Lou didn't like it. 
because he believes that Oliver Wallstrom could be a star in this league. And when you're pushing a kid too hard at a young age, what is he, 21, 22 years old? You're pushing a kid too much. It's going to make the kid feel uncomfortable playing on the ice. And we've seen this before. Yes, Carl Panarin did start with the Blackhawks. Yes, third-line player. Penguin will, Penguins, will, Penguins will get boat raced in the next round. Uh, Slick says, Tom Brady coming back from 28-3 to 3 is greatness. I'll hail the Brady Goat. Uh, the, the Beef says, Speedy is lost. Yeah, Beef, explain that to me, because I hope you're watching the same game I am. I know, I know. <laughs> right, coming from that kid, you're the one that's lost. We get it. Right. Yes, yeah, Carl, course. yes. The Panthers have struggled in the playoffs, but we'll see. There's still a lot of series left with that. They Another team that is kind of young and... Uh, iffy defensively all at once. So they'll probably beat the Capitals, but they're making it harder on themselves than they should be. The, the, the coleslaw crier is the one calling. Hold on one second. Unbelievable. Hold on one second, Jeff, because he's going to make excuses for his team because that's what a fan does. He's going to find a way to make excuses for his team. <laughs> You've got to be realistic. But Listen, realistically, hold on. Hold on. I'm a Bruins fan. What did I tell you about the Bruins versus Carolina? What did I tell you? That we're probably going to lose. They were probably overmatched because Boston can't score with them, which they haven't. Have they fought? Yes. I'm very proud of the team that they fought. But just because you're a fan doesn't mean you need to be blind. That kid's half retarded when it comes to his teams. <laughs> I share two of them. No, no, no. The only thing I would say right now what Ranger fans should be worried about, and this is the truth, this is the truth, is Igor Shosturkin <laughs> has not looked good in his first playoff series. He has he's not looked good. In the moment. He's, he, he's in not the looking moment. good. And we have seen this before. Not with it, not with Ranger goalies, because Henrik Lundqvist was a great playoff goaltender. He really was. He didn't win, but he was a fantastic, even with his teams, how bad of these teams were. He, the, the teams rode on Henrik Lundqvist. When it comes down to pressure, we have seen Igor Sisterkin not really stand on his head in this series. I don't care he what thinks. he had. I, he, doesn't he, he doesn't stink. He doesn't stink. He doesn't stink. We've seen this with he other with other playoff goalies in the past that were elite goalies too. Sometimes the every, pressure gets to them, and they have to learn from it. Every playoffs, right? This is what it turns into. Yes, it's uh, Rangers versus Penguins, but really the matchup is becoming Shesterkin and and Louis Domingue. And guess what? The Rangers' number one goalie is getting outperformed by the third string goalie for Pittsburgh. No, and, 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 and I think Ranger fans should should notice that. If if I was a Ranger fan right now and I'm sitting back today and, and, and go if they lose this series and he gives up he plays next he plays tomorrow and he gives up another three, four goals and they lose in Madison Square Garden, if I'm a Ranger fan, I would be worried next year going into the season. Because now you're putting all all your eggs in one basket because of what you saw this goaltender do in the regular season, and he hasn't done it in the playoffs. You would have to, you would have to be worried about that. Here's here's a fun question because I think it's something worth considering. Okay, how much of Ranger fans' expectations is just New York arrogance? Right, like Yankee fans, they're insufferable because they just expect to win every year. Like, oh, I would imagine some of them are the same. Every year. Right, we should just win every year, right? Giants and Jets fans are insufferable because we're we're in New York. Everyone should want to come here. Oh, right. No, it's not the case. No one can. Right, and Rangers fans are the same way. Like, oh, we're the Rangers. We're, we're New York. Everyone. No, no one gives a shit about the Rangers. They stink, and because they're arrogant about their team, their expectations are unreasonably high because they're stupid. 
Well, I'm I, sure a lot of those fans are the I same fans, though, too. Uh, yeah, but I, I don't think all Ranger fans are stupid. I just think Ranger fans... Judging uh, by the two I know, Tyler uh, uh, and the all people, right, bro. I would say otherwise. They're not stupid. They, they, they're they fans, and, and obviously fans stick up for their team, and, and they back their team up. And they and they thought but, but that this... Can, you come, can on, also come on, come on, Jeff. Before this be series realistic. started, before this series started, honestly, did you think the Rangers were going to get killed like this? Honestly. Yes. You, yes no, stop. The, 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 the Penguins have championship pedigree on their side. The Penguins have guys that have won a Stanley Cup, right? They are tough, right? Like, you can't take that away from those guys. They, Mike Sullivan, he's a, a two-time Stanley Cup winning coach. What's Ger- Gerard Gallant won? Uh, the, the Dairy Queen Cup? What's he won? <laughs> What's he won? Right? The Penguins are a tried and true organization with guys that have won a Stanley cup because I, I believe maybe you don't, but I believe that having extensive playoff experience and being a champion helps you in these situations. And the Rangers have no one that's done anything. No one. Again. And I, I see that Carl posts up Tavares with a dime arrow. That's great. Great. Great for them. They're still going to lose this series, and you're going to see another series for the Maple Leafs not getting over the hump and not getting out of the first round. Do you know? Carolina won five to one. John John Tavares has been uh, since he left the. Was that five years now? Yeah, 2018, the summer of 2018. By the way, I never seen you more mad than when that happened. I Four that. out of five years, okay, that he's been in the playoffs, he hasn't gotten out of the first round. Okay, that just tells you one thing: maybe he's just a jinx. Maybe he's a jinx to Toronto. Speedy will know this. Is anyone, has anyone on the Rangers won a Stanley Cup anywhere at any point? Well, Goodrow with Tampa Goudreau twice. Goodrow did, yes. Uh, I'm trying to think. Goodrow. So yeah. your third line center has won Fourth. something. Fourth line center. Fourth line center has yeah. won something. And then the rest of that team has nothing, correct? Yeah, because I think Panarin's rookie year was the year after they won their last Stanley Cup, I believe. Yeah, so... Yeah, that Ben and Jed hasn't. I'm just trying to think of any other Rangers. No, Cop hasn't. I don't think Vitrano did, Jeff. Who just scored now? Toronto just scored again. But when did Vitrano start with the Bruins, Jeff? Because I, I know he's been around uh, yeah, that the was league a bunch for a while. Of, that was a bunch of years ago. I think I think Vitrano did. I think Vitrano was there when they won. Okay. All right, so he might have been. I right, think he was. And if he was, it was like his second year in the league or something like that, or rookie year. Yeah. I'm, okay. I'm trying to think if it was Neil Vitrano Andrew. or Achari. I get those two confused. Yeah. Uh, Okay. And okay. That was a great to, shot. I, I think it was. I think it. No, you want to? Maybe it was Nola Char. I don't know. Okay. But Petrano could have All right, been. But that would be the only other one I could think of. Yeah. Everyone else is either young or like homegrown Rangers right, so, or coming over so from teams of, that didn't win. So think about that. You have a team led by by uh, unsuccessful people in the in the playoffs, and I say that with all due respect because they have won some rounds. Some of the guys have played good, sure. but it's not it's not close to the same as. You know, having uh, Sidney Crosby there, who's won Stanley Cups, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Latang on defense, who's been there and w- won Stanley Cups. So, like, they have tried and true guys that know, like, that, that aren't going to panic in big situations, that know good playoff situational hockey. The Rangers just don't have it. Jeff, we're going to get our guest on in just a few moments. Call back a little later. We're going to get into you, the whole playoffs. You, you're ignoring the biggest story in sports, by the way. Why do the refs hate the, the, the Boston Celtics? Why are they trying <laughs> we'll to get into We'll get into basketball a little bit later. Absolute abomination. It's a bunch of Tim Donaghy's out there, and I'm sick of it. We'll get into it a little later. Thank you, Jeff. And they're still succeeding. <laughs> Jeff Marcus from Smart, defensive player of the year. <laughs> but of course. <laughs> Jeff from Tampa, ladies and gentlemen. The crazy Jeff. Thank you. Uh, when we come back, uh, we will be talking to the president 
on primetimesportstalk.com. Johnny Black here on the Sports Loudmouths. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouths. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, as you know. This is the Sports Loudmouths. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can call us at 631-672-3108, just like Jeff did. You can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app on iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Jeff from Tampa, ladies and gentlemen, the crazy Jeff from Tampa. And I'm sure he'll call back a little bit later when we get into basketball as uh, crazy stuff is happening in the NBA, as everybody knows. And by the way, John Morant is out the rest of the playoffs with a bruised knee and definitely this series. So that's interesting. Anyways, we are now going to be talking to president of primetimesports.com, Johnny Black. What's going on, Johnny? Oh, nothing much. Everything's going well. You look good, man. It's a little dark yeah. over there. Dark. Room. Yeah, my living room. All right, you, you want the ambiance going? You got any crazy no. pictures up there? Is that why it's dark? Yeah. No, it's <laughs> you know. I'm messing with you. Here's <laughs> what it is. I it's the living room, so I can't mess with the whole sports thing. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't we get into some baseball? Because there's a lot of stuff going on in the baseball world, especially here in New York, uh, and and a lot of a lot of interesting things going on in the American League East. Um, what were your thoughts so far of the New York Yankees? A lot of people, a lot of Yankee fans were unsure of this team. They didn't make a lot of moves in the offseason. Uh, they didn't go after pitching help, everybody said. After the, I guess, the lockout, they added, they traded for some pitchers. It really has worked out. Some of the young kids, the young guns in, uh, that they brought up from the farm system, King, and, and all the different guys that they've had over the last couple of years, Schmidt, they've all looked really, really good. What were your What are your thoughts so far early in the season of the New York Yankees? Well, a lot of Yankee fans. I mean, they started off a little slow, especially Garrett Cole. You know, you're expecting one of the best pitchers in baseball to dominate from the get go and dominate every single game and all that. He had a little struggles in the beginning, but um, yeah, obviously he's shown what he can do. Nesta Cortez has been incredible this year for the Yankees. I mean, he's he's been everything they hoped he would be, and he's been basically the ace, even though, you know, Garrett Cole's technically the ace, but, you know, Nesta Cortez has been has shown he's the ace. And they've gotten, they've gotten great performances from everyone else. I mean, their starting staff is, is looking one through five with Tayon and Severino coming back. And, I mean, even Jordan Montgomery, they've, They've all been incredible. I think the you know, the lineup was the lineup was always going to catch up. I think what you scares know, me. I think what scares me about the pitching staff. You just mentioned the pitching staff and the rotation. I think out of all of them, the the guy that really has not pitched very well is Montgomery. He has. He is. There were certain games this year. I mean, the games have been close. The Yankees aren't scoring for him. We've seen this with Jacob Degrom over the years. Now, obviously, he is not Jacob Degrom, but. The Yankee, you know, he has not looked good this year. Out of all of them, Savarino's looked good. Um, obviously, Nestor Cortez, he almost pitched a no-hitter the other day. Actually, was on for a perfect game. Uh, so, I mean, we've seen a lot. And, and by the way, 
Nasty Nestor was pitching very well last year with the Yankees, so the Yankees are not surprised he's doing it again this year, but he's just having a better early season. So he could be an all-star this year. He could be up for a Cy Young. Who knows? I still think Garrett Cole is the best pitcher in this rotation. But, yes, the pitching staff has been good. Their pitching staff, in the last seven years for the Yankees, and you know this, Johnny, because you know Mm -hmm. statistics and fantasy sports, the Yankees have been amongst the league's top ten when it comes to rotations, ERAs, and whip. In the, in the major leagues, as much as everybody says the Yankees don't have a dominant pitching staff, but if you look at their statistics, their rotation's been pretty good. Oh, the rotation is, is usually pretty good. <clears throat> and even I, I'd even say Jordan Montgomery is, is, has been very good this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, 2.9 ERA mm-hmm. with only five walks and 31. I mean, the command is there. You know, if they're not scoring runs for them, that's one thing. And I think that was a, a case in the beginning of the year because I, I think, honestly, the Yankees' struggles were just a couple games for Cole in the beginning of the year. Offense, they weren't hitting. Now they're hitting. Now they're all hitting. And that's what you need. It's opposite of what's going on in Boston mm. where they can't hit their way out of a paper bag. Mm. Like, And you thought Boston's offense would carry them this year, but yet their pitching's been decent. But their hitting is nothing outside of Devers and Bogarts. They, they've been really – Trevor Story's been a bust so far. So, I mean, the Yankees are Yankees are sound right there, like at the top of the league. They, well, they, they've been doing everything right. Well, the Yankees have the best bullpen in baseball right now statistically. They have the best defense in baseball statistically. And by the way, the Yankees were one of the worst defensive teams in baseball last year. And this year, they're the number one team in baseball. By the way – what does everybody think about Brian Cashman? Oh yeah, he he's he's weighed out his welcome. Let's get rid of Brian yeah. Cashman. So everybody, yeah. so everybody, the whole league can line up and decide how much they're going to pay him in the off season because there will be teams thirty two, well thirty one teams lining up, including the New York Mets, if he ever becomes available, where they're going to fire whoever's running that team right now and say, "Come on, Brian, you can run this organization for however long you want." <laughs> Look what you've done with this team. Every year he finds gems. And yes, the pitching staff hasn't really stood out. I mean, they don't have superstar pitchers. And by the way, they don't draft pitchers very well. I mean, the last great pitcher they've drafted well was, who, Andy Pettit? I mean, they don't draft pitchers very well. Savarino, a lot of people thought he was going to be a bullpen guy. He's become a more clean rotation guy, but he can't stay healthy. So eventually, he'll probably be in the bullpen. So, uh, again, I think a lot of Yankee fans, and Speedy, you, you can go on with your questions too. By the way, we are talking to president of primetimesportstalk.com, Johnny Black. I think the Yankee fans need to calm down, stop throwing people under the bus. Brian Cashman has done nothing but great things for this organization. And, yes, he hasn't won in 11 years, and this is the longest drought the Yankees have ever had. That's great. 11 years without winning a championship. Oh, my God. Let's jump off a bridge. There are teams. Oh, by the way, the Cleveland Indians haven't won in 70-something years. Give me a break. I mean, the the Boston Red Sox didn't win for, what, 90 years? And then you have, uh, can we name out the Cubs? Didn't win for, like, uh, 80 years. I mean, I, I can, we could come up with numbers all over the all over the board. It doesn't matter. But the Yankees haven't won in 11 years. So, oh, my God, the Yankees need to get rid of Brian Cashman. So I just had to say that. It, it's just ridiculous. 
So, Johnny, I wanted to ask because it's been a low-scoring year so far. We've seen a lot of reports that Major League Baseball has been tampering with the baseballs in a lot of different ways, and they've done this, like, different years for the last probably seven years. So do you think that's the main thing, or do you think there's another factor that's going into why offensive numbers and home runs have been down as a whole this year? I think it's definitely a large factor in it. With a small sample size this year, runs per game have been up on nationally televised games, like on Apple TV or on the Sunday night games. They've actually been up like two runs a game. Now, granted, it's a small sample size because we're only in May. We had a month of baseball. But that tells you that the whole accusation that went on and the whole saying that Manfred's tampering with the baseballs to get people to watch the game on nationally televised. Well, that it seems to be the case. I also think that pitching has gotten better, especially with teams going more so with bullpens and things like that and realizing that starting pitching, look, when you get the third time through the lineup, it's just not the same. You know, you can look back and say, well, you know, these guys back then, Tom Seaver, Nolan Ryan, like all these guys, like, yeah, they were great, and they finished their games and everything. But even if you look back on their stats, they weren't as good from the eighth, ninth inning as they were in the first and second inning. So it's a matter of winning games at this point. Uh, Tampa Bay was one of the first teams to actually implement the opener, and that's become a more common thing. So I think it's a combination of the analytics and teams realizing that, look, we got five, six guys in the bullpen that throw over 100 miles an hour and have sliders that have 21 inches of movement. Why not get the starter out of there in the fifth, sixth inning and have this guy come in, face these couple guys, and have another guy come in, especially with the expanded roster. You have 26 men, not 25. Extra pitcher in there. Why not utilize this and dominate your opponent and shut down their offense? Carl, I will, I will say this. I see what Carl's writing at 108 years. I know it was 108 years. I was just putting out numbers. I, I know. I, I said. I, said <laughs> I was going to correct you. Yes. But, you know, the, I, the, I, I know the Indians. <laughs> I know I know. it's over a little bit over 70 years with the Indians. I understand. I was just throwing out numbers. It's okay. I'm just making jokes that it's, it's so funny how Yankee fans think it's a drought because it's 11 years. And let's jump off the bridge because the Yankees haven't won in 11 years. Who cares? They've won 27 World Series. I, I don't think it, it's going to hurt them if they don't win for another 12 or 13 years. But that's just my opinion. Again, we are talking to president of PrimetimeSportsTalk.com, Johnny Black. You know, John, we've, we've watched the league over the last couple of years. And, and you, you mentioned pitching has been better. And, and obviously, Rob Brainford, because he's, he's got no brains, because he wants to bring in, he wants to change rules, he wants to ruin baseball. It's been around forever. He's ruined the game of baseball. He really has. And I hope in the next two years when they decide to, uh, you know, deciding to give him an extension of his contract or just drop him, maybe they, they put in a real baseball guy like Theo Epstein who actually knows what he's doing and put him over there, let him run the organism, let him run baseball. Because that guy, he didn't take the Mets job because I really believe he thinks that you know when it becomes available in 2024, it could be his job. But uh, what are your thoughts to the league and, and, and some of these new rules? Do you, do you like them? I, also, how did you like the new... 
Uh, new rules changing. Obviously, the shift. I think it was a great move by baseball getting rid of the shift. It's ruined the game of baseball. They want to see more offense. Stop changing the baseballs. Chop. Stop corking the bats. Spider tap. Whatever it is. The third baseman play third base. Second baseman play second base. Shortstop play short. First play first. Just play your positions and stop making a third baseman play on the first baseline just because that's where the ball is going to be pulled. Play the game right. So what are your thoughts to the new rules? Do you like the new changes of the game? I can't say I like the shift change. I mean, I think well, it should be allowed. Yeah. It's the same as other sports. They did the same thing in football with not allowing defensive backs. And it's like, you know, they're calling everything is everything's a ticky tack rule and you can't touch quarterbacks anymore. I mean, I grew up in the I grew up in the 70s and 80s. So I remember like quarterbacks in the NFL getting beat up. I mean, no one got beat up like. The NFC guys like Joe Montana, Joe Theismann. Like, I mean, come on. You know, things like that don't happen anymore. It's the same thing with baseball. You know, the adjustment mm-hmm. has been a rule. It's becoming a rule where it shouldn't be. You shouldn't make rules to change the game. That's that's the way I stand on it. So the shift, I think, the shift rule I think it's bullshit, honestly. I don't like I don't like that second inning runner, like the tenth inning runner on second base. I don't like that. Well, they got rid of that. Thank God that they they got rid of that because I didn't agree with that either. And as well, far that's as not the, going on this year, though, no, it hasn't. So I don't know. No, they're gonna they're gonna potentially renegotiate that next year. Yeah, yeah. It, the ghost it's, runner it's is still going in on place. This year, but it might go away next. Yeah, year. that's what, that's what. Yeah. It's no, not they've, they've, they've they, it is official. I think oh, it's they, official now. They okay. official. Okay. It's after this year. It's done. It's gone. As well as the shift, as 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 well as all that other stuff. I think the game. I understand what you're saying. I know a lot of baseball gurus have said, um, as far as the shift is concerned. Don't get rid of it. It's been part of the game. But it's it's listen, you want to make the game more offensively sound. Why cork the balls? Why do whatever they're doing with the balls and doing whatever they're doing with the bats? You don't have to do any of that anymore. You get rid of the shift, there's more offense. Automatically, there's more offense. You're going to see like Joey Gallo where he's pulling the ball. It's going to be harder for you to go after the ball. It's going to be harder for you to to shift on him in in the middle of a game or a Rizzo or somebody like that. I think it's going to open up the game for these players, and it'll open up the offensive game. All right. We'll see next year. I bet you next year there's more runs. Because you know what happens? Mm -hmm. Now you shift your outfielders. Well, there's going to be, I believe. Now you have someone, and now you have, if you have your third baseman who used to play on the second base side of second base, you know, on Mm -hmm. the other side to Mm -hmm. shift for a gallo. So you have him straddle the bag and then run out there. Like, I mean, it's, it's not. He just has to start somewhere. It doesn't mean he can't move. No, he they can did move. The same thing. You know what? They did the same thing to Keith Hernandez back in the eighties when he was playing at first base. But he used to have a when he used to stand at first base and hold the runner on. He used to have one foot in foul territory. This way, the ball could come to him and he could just drop the glove. Major League Baseball banned that, and they said. That he's not allowed to do that because the player is not allowed to start in foul territory. There was an enforcement of the rule for Keith Hernandez back then because he was too good at what he did. Why are we punishing people who are too good at what they do? If you're so good, 
if you're so good at shifting, if you're so good at doing that, at managing that, why are we taking that away from the managers? Put it on the hitters. Hit better. I know that's what everybody is saying. Hit better, but bunt the ball. Do it. Yeah. Everyone in history, in 150 years of baseball history, has done this. Has done what Willie Keeler said back in 1890. Hit him where they ain't. Johnny, are you Don't claiming that? Are you claiming that Keith Hernandez has the best trait of any any player with his defense? Oh, Keith Hernandez <laughs> is the best defensive first baseman to ever walk onto a field. Well, by the way, no uh, hold on one second. Uh, no Keith Hernandez, defensive first baseman. Keith matters. Hernandez said. Keith Hernandez said Don Manley is the greatest baseball defensive player he's ever seen. Don Manley, he said that. He says that. Keith says that he was a better offensive player than Don, but defensively, he Don Manley doesn't get the respect that he deserves at first base, and that he thought Keith said that Don Manley was a better defensive player than he was. That's what well, Keith I said. I'm just, <laughs> I I'm, just telling, I'm just telling. I'm just telling what Keith said. But I'm also saying that defensively, like when you look at, this is my problem with some of the modern analytics too, is that when you look at defensively, defensive war what a lot of people talk about first base gets no love whatsoever nowadays, but it's the same positional adjustment as it was back when Keith Hernandez played. Why is that? When people, when people in baseball, baseball players bunt more, they bunted more and they stole bases more back then. Mm. Wasn't first base more important back then? Keith Hernandez made it an art. Nowadays, first base is uh, I could play first base. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't even matter. Mm. Back then, it was a different story. You know what Keith Hernandez saying about Don Manley? That's great. And Don Manley was an excellent first baseman defensively and offensively, obviously. But I'm just saying, th- th- there's a big difference between now and 30 years ago. The way things are judged and the way things are looked at. And but I just still think that you need to let the players play the game. Hmm. So stop making rules. So in terms of the rule, in terms of the rule changes, is there anything specific that you would have wanted them to modify with the either the way the game is played or specific rules? And what would that be? Well, I honestly, the double header rule with seven innings for a double header, I like that. Hmm. I actually think that's a good rule. Especially with more teams using relief pitchers and starters not going, you know. I don't like that rule. You know, I I, I like that rule. I don't like that rule. That ruins the game of baseball. It saves you players, you know. The game. I I don't mind that. The The other rules. uh, The DH in the National League, I'm good with. I don't want to see pitchers. I, I don't like that rule. I, I don't like the, the – if it's a doubleheader, you, you play seven innings in the second game. I, I think that ruins the game. I, they, listen, the, the game is – just like you say, you shouldn't get rid of shifting. You shouldn't get rid of – if it's a doubleheader, you shouldn't get rid of nine innings. That, that's ridiculous. And uh, these baseball players are making millions and millions of dollars, and I, I cry me a river about their arms, okay? Uh, I, I don't care. You – this is the game. This is the way the game is played for years. And and listen, shifting's been around forever. It's been around forever. I know that's what everybody says. Well, it's been around forever, so it doesn't really matter. That's tr- true. But shifting has been more dominant now than it ever has been. And it all started with John Madden. 
and, 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 and Joe I'm Madden. sorry, Joe Madden. It, it started with Joe Madden with Tampa, and ever since then, every single team now is doing analytics, looking at the analytics where they hit the ball 90% of the time, and they're trying to move the position and move the players in position so they're ready for the ball to come to them. I think it ruins the game, and, and, and I, that's what I think it does. As far as the extra innings and playing extra innings and doing anything, those rules should never be changed. And as for, and, and I, I think it's great for the, the DH situation in the National League. I think it helps the National League because it helps the pitchers out. Pitchers don't have to hit. There's no there's no situation where a, a pitcher's going to get hit with a baseball, get hit in the head with a baseball, and then they're out for a significant amount of time. So I think it's great for baseball. Plus, uh, you got pe- you know people, the first basemen that are not very good defensive players, third basemen are not very good defensive players, where you can shift them into the DH part, part and you could put a defensive uh, defense defensive player at third base or first base. So I think that helps the National League. As far as the other rules, I, I just think. Rob Manfred is an idiot. He doesn't really know what he's doing. He's the worst commissioner. We can in, agree with that. Yeah, <laughs> he is the worst commissioner in sports. He is horrible, and, and mm-hmm. I, I just hope I hope baseball realizes that and ownership realizes that in 2024 when his contract's up and they got a guy sitting there right now, Theo Epstein, who is a genius, smart guy. I hate him because he he ran the Red Sox. I hate him for that, but. Who's to say that Theo Epstein is not one of the smartest guys in baseball? He would be great for baseball. I think that would be a sensational move for the ownership and where baseball is moving towards. I think it's great. I think it would be great if Theo Epstein took over for the for the league and, and where the league is going. I would agree with that. I like Theo Epstein. A legendary GM mm-hmm. bringing the first Red Sox World Series in 86 years and the first Cubs World Series in 108 years. Done more... For those franchises, done anything. He's done I good for baseball. Disagree. I still disagree with you a couple of days, but I, you know, I disagree with you with the the shift, the whole shifting yeah, thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I still disagree because they shifted Ted Williams and he's still at four hundred. <laughs> so okay, and they shifted. Know. They didn't shift Ted Williams all the time. Okay, they no, were, they didn't. No, no, they didn't. Oh, they but, never did. But every time you but, watch Aaron Judge go up or John Carlos Stanton go up, you see them, or Joey Gallo come up, you see, you know, the third baseman playing on the first baseline. I mean, it's ridiculous. It well, ruins you're the see game. Chris Davis come back next year. He's 35 years oh, old. Please. He quit baseball because he sucked. And then he's going to come back next year because the shift's not around anymore. And all of a sudden, he's going to hit 300. Come on. <laughs> no, he's still going to hit 247. Gonna happen, right? He's gonna, still going to hit 247, just like he did three years in a row. Well, he's got that long-term <laughs> deal like no, Chris Bobby Bonilla. Oh, Chris, Chris with a C, okay. Sorry, not, not Chris with the K. I know. Still but one the of the greatest statistical is, anomalies, though. People forget Mookie Wilson hit 276 three years in a row. Well, Chris <laughs> Chris so Davis, you're talking him. about what Baltimore and, – and, he yes. actually and yeah. he's actually he's got a contract that's it's a sensational contract. He's got like a Bobby Bonilla contract. He's oh, going to get paid for oh, the next he, 20 oh, 25 years. Way more than Bobby Bonilla ever made. <laughs> Bobby Bonilla is not even not even close to the 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 Atlanta Braves are still playing paying Bruce Suter from 1987. Oh wow. So <laughs> damn. Yeah, they got one more year I think for 750 grand or something like that. But Bye. they're still the, the Red Sox are still playing Manny Ramirez, two million a year. I mean, are the Dodgers are the Dodgers doing it too? <laughs> Don't forget, Max Scherzer is going to be paid fifteen million dollars a year from the Washington Nationals mm. until twenty. I believe it's twenty thirty five. Mm. 
Yeah, Bobby uh, Bonilla's contract expires then. Money. Bobby Bonilla <laughs> is just a joke. <laughs> but, oh, yeah, a lot of these teams do that. A lot of these teams are, you know. <laughs> before we let you go, okay, before we let you go, yep. um, what are your thoughts right now this year? Who do you think wins the MVP in the National League and the American League? And who do you think wins the Cy Young in the National League and the American League? Oh, man. Um, I mean, just a guess of what you've seen so far. But I've seen so far, honestly, mm. National League MVP, mm-hmm. I mean, at this point, and if he continues on his pace, I'd have to give it to Manny Machado. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people look at Acuna, but he missed the first three weeks. A lot of people look at Juan Soto. Obviously, you know, his team stinks. Mm-hmm. With Fernando Tatis now, you know, Machado's leading the league in batting average on base percentage and slugging. Leading the slash line. He's leading the league in hits. He's leading the league in runs scored. He's carrying that offense. And they're a half a game back behind the Dodgers. Mm. Soto's, so, Soto's I, I mean, not I mean, having a good year, by the way. He's playing his usual, his usual excellent defensive third base. He hasn't made an error yet this year. And, I mean, you know, I believe he's got a three DRS. So, I mean... I would say Machado at this point in the National League. As far as Cy Young, I'm going to go with Walker Bueller mm-hmm. in the National League. He's he's moving into I predicted that anyways, by the way. I, pre- I predicted Walker Bueller before the season started was going to win the National League uh, Cy Young. So I predicted. Yeah, I could definitely say it. I mean, he's been lights out, and he's he's really coming into his own. He's learned from Kershaw, and he's taken over that team. He's taking over that rotation. How about the American League? The American League, I got to go with my boy. I'm a Twins fan. Mm-hmm. So as long as he stays healthy, I'm going to go with Buxton. You never know when he's going to get hurt again or everything. But the dude's got as much talent as anyone in the league. Defensively, speed, he's a 5 tool player. And if he can stay healthy for 140 games, he, he – and and actually win the Twins, the American League Central, where it looked like they weren't, you know, the White Sox were going to run away with it. Well, I would have to give it to Boxing. Cy Young-wise, I still go with Garrett Cole. I, I picked it. It's so I, funny I you said that. I said, I said Walker Bueller and Garrett Cole, both guys. <laughs> for the Amer- I'm not lying to you, Speedy. Did I say that? I don't remember you said Garrett I Cole. Said Garrett I said Garrett Cole. I'll believe you. <laughs> I said Garrett Cole. I got yeah, I said Garrett Cole I mean, from I, the Yankees, and I said Walker Bueller from the National League. That's what I said. And as far as uh, MVP, MVP in the American League, uh, as of right now, uh, and it, it, it still it seems like it's moving that way. That way, Mike Trout will win it again this year. And in the National League, um, it's a hit or miss with the National League. I, I don't know what to expect with the National League, but I'm going to take a guess right now. If the if the season were to end, um. Who's the guy that stands out on uh, right now in the National League? Um, who's having a good season? Machado. Uh, Machado, <laughs> but there's a. I mean, no, there's somebody on the uh, on the the Dodgers that's having a good year. Um, but they all have good years. No, no, <laughs> everyone, everyone, that's everyone they the Dodgers have a good year. That's the thing with the Dodgers. But they, but they look, they know, look at the San numbers. Diego actually comes away with that division. Machado, you know. I, I okay. So you think Machado? I I think it's I I have to look, but I think I, somebody on the Dodgers is hitting like three thirty or three twenty five or something like that. So 
Uh, I'm going to go with one of the Dodgers to win the National League uh, MVP. But uh, before the season started, I had um, I had uh, a Cole and Walker Bueller as far as my Cy Youngs and hitting. I said Mike Trout if he stays healthy, I, th- I think he's going to win it again. And um, in the National, I forget who I did. In I think National. you said Acuna. Acuna, yeah, yeah Acuna. Okay, I'll, I'll go with Acuna if he if he ever. Ever right. gets back on track, but mm-hmm. whatever, you know. Anyways, been great since you came back. Absolutely. Uh, tell us a little uh, before we let you go. Tell us a little bit about your organization and and how we can find you on social media. Yeah, I'm. You know, we run primetimesportstalk.com. Uh, we do everything, mainly baseball and football, but we we've been doing hockey and basketball. We do a lot of motocross mm. stuff like that. Um, DFS. If anyone's in daily fantasy, we do that every day. We have DFS for baseball. We also have a football every Sunday. Um, yeah, and just like nostalgia stuff with baseball. I do a Flashback Friday episode um, for like older players and stuff like that. And, you know, there's a ton of stuff to find on there. Well, we really appreciate you, man. Thank you for joining us. We'll get you on very, very soon as well uh, and giving us the time. Uh, tell the fans how they can find you on Twitter. Yeah, hit me up at jball0202 and hit up Primetime Sports Talk at Chalk Primetime on Twitter. And we also have Facebook pages and everything like that. Oh, those so, are I mean, those are I hate I, I hate Facebook and I hate Instagram. Everybody yeah, can... but it's you know it's when you get into groups and stuff like that, it's great, you know. Yeah, it is, but I I, <laughs> I I think Twitter is the most important thing when it comes to sports media because that's how you interact with people and I you know, when you're posting things, you're posting up your stuff. I I I used to think like Facebook and Instagram. I don't even care about Instagram. It's just pictures and oh yeah, so stupid. Instagram, Instagram is so stupid. And, yeah. uh, and and Facebook, yeah, Facebook. It's good when you're groups, but the real social media that you really want to be connected with is Twitter. That is the most important thing to get connected with when it comes to media and sports. So, uh, anyways, we really appreciate you joining us. We'll get you on soon, my friend. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Appreciate it. We were just talking to president of Primetime Sports Talk and com, Johnny Black. Anyways, uh, I, I love baseball, man. I really do. And, and I will say this. Um, what, you know, with all the stuff that's going on in baseball, it really doesn't start picking up until the All-Star break. So nobody knows what's going to happen and how it's going to happen until the all-star break is over and the trade deadline comes in and goes. So it'll be very interesting how these teams are going to go after certain players. If there's a player that gets hurt. And like you said, the Red Sox, uh, I I don't trust that the Red Sox are done. And and everybody keeps saying that the Red Sox are completely out. They're not catching. They're too good of a team. They're too good of a roster to be this bad. They're not hitting right now. No, but we, the Yankees were hitting last year in the first part of the half. They couldn't hit a lick. And now they're hitting, like, all over the place. They they, they can't miss. So I don't expect. The Braves couldn't pitch in the first half. They won a World Series. And I'm telling you right, the Braves haven't looked good right now. No. But I'll tell you this right now, they're not this bad. And I, Oh, we know. And a lot of people think that the Mets are just going to pull away in this division. They're not. This division no. is far from over. The Mets could go on a skid five, six games, and the Braves could win seven, eight games in a row, and they'll be right there. 
Yeah, you, you just know. hope it's not as bad of an overall pitching collapse as the second half of last year because they're too good pitching. When, when, it comes when to Jacob the Degrom got hurt last year, like it's a, it was a whole ripple effect. Every other pitcher fell off after that. Yeah, but they're two. First of all, they have great veterans there. They have Bassett and and Max Scherzer, two really dominant pitchers. And now you have Jacob Degrom coming back. Watch out for that pitching staff. You have McGill, you have Walker, you have Carrasco. I mean, that's a that's a really now. Listen, everybody keeps talking about how great and how dominant the pitching staff is for the Mets, and then they forget about what the Yankees have done and, and all the right. Yankees. You know, everybody says that the Yankees aren't as good because they don't have those superstar pitches except Garrett Cole, and he just managed it. Nestor, Nestor Cortez mm-hmm. has been as good as any pitcher in baseball. Really, his first four starts have been dominant. His ERA is 1.40, and right now, if the season were to be over, Nestor Cortez would win the Cy Young in yeah. the American League. So he he's been his his whip is under one, I mean it's it's ridiculous. I I don't think he's this good. Okay, but I the Yankees remember the Yankees had him for a couple of years and they got rid of him. He went to I think he played for Seattle one year or somebody like that. And yeah, he was in one of those trades. Yeah, and the Yankees brought him back. I think right. it was a great uh, I think it was a great move by the Yankees and and he's a great find by guess who Brian Cashman. The Yankee killer that everybody says is washed up and doesn't belong <laughs> as the GM for the New York Yankees. By the way, I brought up the Tyler yesterday. By oh, the boy. Fans. I said, well, well, what's going on with uh, what's going on with our Boone in the Yankees? Oh, come on, Errol. It, it's, it's 30 games into the season. You're talking about the Yankees? I'm like, dude. You were saying that the Yankees, they're going to fail. They didn't bring in Max Scherzer. Meanwhile, the Yeah, Yankees, they had no pitching, yeah, apparently. Meanwhile, the Yankees <laughs> okay. have the third or second best ERA in, in, rotation-wise in baseball. Yeah. By the way, better than the Mets. Oh. So what does that tell you? Okay? He, he couldn't say anything. Everything that he said, he just sat there and just bit his tongue. And he always made... Tyler makes so many excuses when he's wrong about something. He tries to flutter himself, and he's like a little butterfly, you know? He tries to find something to sit on, and he just sits on him. Oh, yeah. He'll, he'll defend all his favorite people to death. And then uh, then when a breakout guy comes out, Cortez, uh, Montgomery, any of those guys, nope. Oh, he, 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 and he told me straight out, Brian Cashman's way out is welcome. I said, wait out is welcome. I mean, I, yeah, Yankee okay. fans were so upset that they didn't make any moves. He brings in a shortstop in a in a in a trade that he wasn't even a league guy in the trade. Right, and he's been, he right now. If this season, if the All Star break was here, he'd be starting as the American League shortstop. <laughs> oh my God. Tyler's an idiot, okay? When it comes to baseball, he can never give Brian Cashman any credit or Aaron Boone. By the way, uh, by the way, yeah, right I don't now, think it'll, it'll take like a 150 win season for him to give Aaron Boone 150. Right now, the Yankees are on the urge of winning 100 games easy this year. Oh, yeah. Easy. Okay, so, and, and nobody will give him credit. And he wins the, the American League Coach of the Year or Manager of the Year. It's not going to mean anything to. Because Tyler, Tyler told me if he doesn't he doesn't get this team to the World Series, it doesn't mean it. And you're right, just like that, which is fair. Just... But hey, still, like, there are other factors that it's not, not always just managerially either, though. Too, I would and, agree. Yeah, and I would agree. I would say, I would say what he's done with new players is something that you like out of any new coach or any any coach, uh, any manager of any sport. That's a, one of the biggest traits you love is trying to make it work with that many new guys all at once. And between the trade deadline acquisitions and the new relief pitchers and the young pitchers, that is all you could ask for out of anybody. I asked him, how was, how's Joe Girardi doing in Philadelphia? 
That's all I I'm convinced I, nobody can manage that team. I'm just saying, <laughs> how is Joe Girardi doing in that on that Philadelphia squad where everybody thought, oh, he could fix that rotation, he could fit that fix that bullpen. That bullpen has been horrible. That that rotation has been horrible. Okay, and that tells you one thing: Joe Girardi is getting fired, and he's going to be looking for another job. He'll probably be an assistant coach on a bench. He'll never get another head coaching job again. Mm-hmm. So, and all the Yankee fans that were so upset when Joe Girardi was gone, and I wasn't because I think he weighed out weighed out his welcome. And you bring in Aaron Boone, and Aaron Boone has been a better manager on this this team than than the than Joe Girardi was. He has been. Look at his record. Mm-hmm. I, I you go up and down the record. Joe Girardi, it, Aaron Boone. He's been there for four years. He's had ninety or more wins in every one of those seasons, two right. with a hundred or more. Okay, to say that that Joe Girardi is much better as a manager than Aaron Boone. Joe Girardi won a championship. He won a championship when the Yankees spent $600 million in the offseason bringing CeCe Sabathia, A.J. Burnett, and Mark Teixeira. Okay? What did the Yankees do this offseason? How much money did the Yankees spend? Besides bringing in Donaldson, who was under a contract, right. they brought in Kinder Ki- 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 for Lafer. I don't think he's been actually paid yet. I think he's still on his arbitration deal. So they they brought in nothing. They spent no. And they actually got rid of contracts and Sanchez and everybody else. Right. That was the problem with the, with the old bullpen. Was there were too many of those big contracts. They got rid of most of those now. Britain's still on the roster, but he's not going to pitch this year. And it's the young guys, the new ones, that are taking over. And that has a lot to do with Aaron Boone managing. That's what it is. It's all about managing. So all the Yankee fans were trying to push Aaron Boone out, which, by the way, I was not. And, and everybody was trying to push No, Brian you said hot seat, I think. He but is on hot seat. Yeah. He needs to win this year. But I didn't think he should be fired. I, I did not. I've always backed up Aaron Boone. I've always backed him up because I don't think he's as bad as everybody says he is. And I would love to see him win a championship this year. I would love to see You just it. want to stick it to Tyler. I would stick it to Tyler. I would like to stick it to all the Yankee fans because everybody says bring Joe Girardi back. What has Joe Girardi done since he left the Yankees? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Snook says Aaron Boone should be the manager of the Ferry yeah, Hawks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Carl has a good question before we go to go break on. and get Jack Borowski on. Which uh, first-round loser would be more of a disappointment, the Rangers who are look- likely going to lose or the Oilers? Ooh, that's, a, that's an interesting one. What was the question? I'm sorry. The Rangers or the Oilers, if they were to lose in the first round, who would be the bigger disappointment? Um... I would say the Oilers because they're playing the L.A. Kings. Yeah. And the L.A. Kings squeaked into the playoffs. They shouldn't even be there. Right. So I would say I would say the Oilers. But if you're a Ranger fan, you're sitting here all the all year round saying that this team is a Stanley Cup competitive team. They're 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 they've been dominant all season. They they're the second best team in the Eastern Conference. They could have been the first. Thank God they didn't play the Boston Bruins right. in the first round. They would have been eliminated in four games. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm thinking a lot of the same things. Just because the Kings were supposed to be a rebuilding team, they really only got in because Vegas just collapsed down the stretch and had all those injuries, and nobody expected them at the start of the season to miss the playoffs. It was supposed to be them and Calgary, and then the third team was supposed to be thought of as like the, it could have been like the Oilers, Sharks, or Canucks. Like those were the three teams everyone was thinking. Nobody was expecting the Kings. They were kind of like the Rangers last year. So with the Oilers, even their defense getting a little bit better as a well-rounded unit too, you were expecting them to 
at least take a step against the Kings. They still might win. It's 2-2. It's not over yet, but if they lose, yeah. The Oilers are winning that series. I think so, too. I had them in six initially, so if they win both their next two games, that's what it would be, but still, I yeah. think the Oilers series goes seven games because the Oilers always choke until the final game, but they're too, they have too much firepower to lose against this, this King team. I don't know if the Oilers get out of the second round the way they're... No, that's what I said initially. I said the winner of Flames stars will beat the Oilers. Yes, I, I think the Flames... I think the Flames... You had, I had stars. Dallas in the upset, but yeah, either way, I think... We didn't even make our picks for the... We for did on the weekend crunch kind of inadvertently. Not yeah. not like directly, but yeah, I actually had the upset with the Stars because I'm like, there's got to be one upset, and I was I was toying with that one or the Bruins, and I, went, I ended up going with that instead, but I, it's not that I'm dissing the Flames. It's just one of those, like, Dallas is deep and good good defensive, like we were saying before with, the, with Jeff. Like, they have the physicality, the depth, and the defense, like, even though they don't have the same level of star power, but that's the one I can see. But even if the Flames do win, I think they, they'll, they'll probably go through the Oilers pretty easily. And then whoever comes out of that, that division above Colorado, Minnesota, or St. Louis will probably beat that team. I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens after the first round because, again, that's where hockey – this, this is where all the teams start to really flutter, and, and you see the best, better goaltending. I, I, I'll tell you this right now. I don't see the Penguins. If, if the Penguins get out of this Rangers series, I, I, I think whoever they play, the Bruins or the Carolina Hurricanes, they're done. They're, there's, there's no way. I, I'd be surprised if the Penguins win one game, even if Jari comes back. Okay, I just I can't see it. Yeah, it'll be a weird, uh, different. It's in confidence too. Like you're all of a sudden reading with this third string goalie, then just switch back. That can that could all. Well, Jari come. Jari is coming back. They say yeah, he'll he be is. back no, next week. He was, yeah, they said if this series, if the series against the Penguins went seven, like that was the, that was the timetable for him to come back. Like in game six, maybe he could tough it out, or game seven if it went to that point. If Pittsburgh was losing, but obviously they're winning three one, so there's no leeway for that. There's leeway for that. For that yeah, but if the Rangers back. win game number five, they, there is leeway because you do not. Want to go back to Madison Square Garden in game number seven? Oh, good. Believe me, I love Shades of 2013 when the Rangers came back down 3-1 on the Penguins. But I, and I'll tell you this right now. If the Rangers win game number five, I bet you the Rangers come back in this series. I'm, I'm telling you right now. That's my prediction. Mm-hmm. If the Rangers win in Madison Square Garden, they will beat the Penguins in Pittsburgh. Because they haven't beaten the Penguins yet in Pittsburgh. And, and they're due. They're mm-hmm. due to beat them in Pittsburgh. So I w- I'm telling you right now. With Dominion goal, anything's possible. This series is far from over Ranger fans. So all the Ranger fans that want to jump off a bridge and give up on their team, don't ever say die because I have seen, uh, not the Rangers, but I've seen other teams where everybody thought they were done come back. And if the Rangers have great goaltending and Sesterkin is as great as everybody says he is, well, he, he needs to make a run. And he, he's got to yeah. show everybody. He needs to t- stand on his head, stand on his knees, whatever the hell he's got to do to make sure that puck doesn't go in the net and they start to they play better hockey because that's the only way they're coming back, goaltending. Goaltending, goaltending, goaltending. Just like football, it's quarterback play and, and defense You know, in the big part of the game. And the same thing when it comes to baseball. Pitching and defense wins championships. Facts. Anyways, when we come back, we'll be talking to NFL Draft Bible Assistant Scouting Director and Writer Jack Borowski here on the Sports Loudmouths. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouths. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Sports Loudmouths. 631-672-3108 is the number to call. Go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app on iOS, WWSR, or Android. 
Worldwide uh, Sports Radio Network. Uh, thank you to Johnny Black for joining us. Talk a little baseball with him. And now we got our football guru of the day. Uh, we had him on the show a couple of months ago, almost a year ago. Right? Yeah, it was like November, December, something almost like a that. year ago. Yeah. Wow, it goes fast. Time goes so fast. I'm, I'm getting old. Forty years old. I'm just, it's just riding up. I, I mean, my I'm, my age is almost as old as your underwear, Speedy. Oh, you know? thank you. <laughs> Anyways, uh, we are now talking to NFL Draft Bible Assistant Scouting Director and Writer Jack Borowski. What's going on, Jack? Thanks for having me, I guess. We are good, man, and the draft is over. And you said this was a weak draft. I told you I begged to differ when we talked, uh, uh, I guess, months ago. Um, what did you think about the draft and how it fell? And who do you think was the winners of the first round? I, I thought the draft was, you know, the class wasn't necessarily great. Uh, obviously, only one quarterback won in the first round, and that tends to, you know, drive um, it from a uh, you know casual fan perspective and just, you know, the entertainment aspect of things but you know with the wide receiver position i felt like it replaced quarterback this year with um you know six in the first 18 picks and then uh aj brown was traded as well you know you had marquise brown um so you you had a lot of moving pieces with with the receiver position which made it super entertaining for the first round you know yeah i i wasn't necessarily in love with it but you know i, I thought you know there was a lot of questions will be walker or hutchinson the first pick walker end up going one stingley third through everyone uh for a loop you know so I, I thought it was pretty entertaining um you know if, if you look at a winner from the first day of the draft it had to be the jets uh, i think that was an obvious one you know you get three top tier players uh you, you get a cornerback and a mod gardner who was one of my top prospects. And then you followed up with Garrett Wilson, who, you know, many felt was the top wide receiver. You know, that that's a that's an A plus day. You know, you you get two of the top four or five most valuable positions in the league and you get the best player in the draft at both. And then they followed it up with uh trading back in the first round to uh get Jermaine Johnson, you know, who to me was arguably the most talented pass rusher in the draft. Uh, the the biggest questions uh, surrounding him were character and uh, his age being 23. But outside of that, he's a supremely talented player. And, and I think he comes in and could be a, an immediate impact player. So, you know, the Jets and then the Giants as well. Uh, I think both New York teams did a fantastic job on day one. Evan Neal, Kayvon Thibodeau. Beyond just talk about star power, getting guys who who were two of the best college football players uh, the past three seasons. I, I thought the two of them, A-plus days overall. You know, I thought the Jets continued day two. They got the best running back in the draft. You know, you, you get four players. You know, if you want to say Jermaine Johnson's the third best edge rusher, w w whatever it may be, fourth. But you get the best cornerback in the draft, the best receiver in the draft, the best running back in the draft. They really upgraded their roster. Um, you know, the Ravens, I thought, did an exceptional job with their day two picks, getting David Ajabo, the pass rusher from Michigan, who I felt, you know, was a top 32 player and probably a top 20 pick if he didn't tear his Achilles. You know, taking him in the middle of the second round, if he doesn't pan out, you know, they have enough talent within that organization that, that they can withstand um, uh, a player like him if he busts. But then they followed up with Travis Jones as well in the third round, who I thought the D tackle from UConn could have been a late first round pick, early second. He'll play 10 years in the league. Knowing the Ravens, you know, you got Kyle Hamilton, Tyler Linderbaum. Kyle's a safety. Tyler's a center in the first round, both of which, uh, you know, I, I think that they could be long-term starters. So, you know, those were three teams that 
uh, I, I was really impressed with it and definitely helped their rosters. So you were talking about the run of the wide receivers happening all at once, and you kind of said it was like replacing the quarterbacks in classes that are weaker with quarterbacks. Can you see that kind of thing being more of a modern trend now with not only that, but also the receivers that are getting traded as quickly as they do because they don't do as well with their second contracts as much? Yeah, I think it's because it's the them and, and quarterbacks. You know, I, I compare it to other sports. You know, you see star power in basketball, and those guys get traded all the time. They get to dictate, hey, I want to be here, I want to be there, and teams are saying, all right, well, we got to do that because you know it's an individual sport. I think we're starting to see that with quarterbacks and receivers. We saw the quarterbacks get traded. Um, you know, before the draft and, you know, players Deshaun Watson say, here's my list. Here's where I want to go. And I'm going to sign whatever contract I want. Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, you know, all these guys dictating whatever they want. You know, I saw that. I said, all right, the quarterback's position. And now because wide receivers, I think, you know, copycat league revisionist history, seeing what, what the Bengals were able to do. You know, you have Jamar Chase, T Higgins, and Tyler Boyd, and they were basically comfortable with, um, you know, being able to compete in any game because you have three guys who can get open on any play. It didn't matter who else was around them. Burrow could find one of them. I think people realize we need top tier receivers. And then the receiver market um, just exploded as well because the free agent class wasn't overly impressive. And, you know, and, and a lot of these marquee names wanted to leave um, the, the, their original destination. So you saw a lot of changes in the draft and it was a good receiver class. I think if quarter if the quarterback class had more than just Kenny Pickett as a first round caliber player, I think we would have seen a similar thing to wide receiver. But I think those two positions, wide receiver, partly being a lot of these guys divas. You know, they want what they want. Um, you know, they don't they're not they don't just fall in line like an offensive lineman. It's like, yeah, I'll just play in Detroit for 12 years and I'll make a lot of money and be fine with that. They want the quarterback. They want the marketing. They want everything. And so you're looking to ch change uh, lo locations a lot and, you know, paying twenty five million dollars for a player. You know, some teams feel that they need to do that. Um, and so like the Eagles and the Titans, you know, Titans sitting there. What are we going to do with AJ Brown? AJ Brown, you know, vocal that you know he wants a deal done or he wants out. Uh, Titans couldn't afford to keep him, so the Eagles came in and basically said, "AJ, we'll give you whatever you want because to get a premium wide receiver is so valuable." Which the, the Bengals showed having three, you're able to make the Super Bowl with not the best roster in the league. As everybody knows, we're talking to NFL Draft Bible Assistant Scouting Director and Writer Jack Borowski. Jack, a lot of people, including uh, Pat McAfee, uh, he drafted – his draft board was very interesting. Mostly everybody had an A-plus. There was a couple of C-pluses, and there was one F-minus. And the one team that he gave an F-minus was the Dallas Cowboys. And you go up and down their draft board. You, you kind of shake your head. You wonder why they went with this. Why did they go in the second round uh, the way they did? What were your thoughts when you heard that Smith was their number one pick? And, and where did you grade the Dallas Cowboys throughout the draft? Uh, you know, it's funny. I, I thought you would have said the Patriots because when they took Cole Strange in the first C plus round. C-plus they gave him. He gave him a C-plus. Okay. So, yeah, uh, when they took Cole Strange in the first round from, from Chattanooga, it probably took me about 15 hours to process that because I, I love Cole Strange. thought he would have been a great pick between, like, 60 and 75. To see him go 29th, it's just – you know, I, I just couldn't process it, uh, you know, so I would have assumed, you know, people. You a Patriot fan? Draft. 
What? Are you a Patriot fan? I used to be. Nah, yeah. Now, yeah, I'm to be a Pats fan now because of my work, yes. but it's really because Brady's not there, and yeah. so I don't understand half the things Belichick does. Mm-hmm. Um, so partly that reason. But um, back back with the Cowboys, I had a first round grade on Tyler Smith. You know, I I didn't think he was going to go that high, but you know, dating back to the summer, I remember I was watching. I wasn't watching Tulsa tape. I was watching Oklahoma State film. And they played Tulsa week one when Tyler was a redshirt freshman. Tyler played left tackle. And he was destroying everyone. I mean, I noticed this 56 kid was just pummeling every defender. So I looked him up, saw he was going to be a redshirt sophomore, 6'5", 320, 330 pounds, and said, all right, let me put on his film. And I said to myself, this kid's a first-round caliber player. And he was one of my favorite guys in the class really? um, for forever. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I was, I was uh, the number one fan for Tyler Smith wow. for a very long time. So Interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah, you'll make, I, I you'll make a lot of cowboy fans game. happy. I mean, a lot of cowboy fans were about to jump off a bridge when they heard Tyler Smith's name get called. I mean, serious. We have a bunch of the cowboy fans are like Tyler Smith. We could have got Jermaine Johnson. Those idiots. <laughs> Except one of our Cowboys fans also said he would have rather Josh Xavier McKinney over CD lamb. So, <laughs> but... <laughs> So, no, I, I think, you know, with Tyler, no, it's not the conventional pick. Where did he play Tulsa? You know, he's a young guy. I, I think because I've watched two years of his film now, I've probably watched 10 to 12 of his games. What I did notice, and if you go back to his retro freshman film, I honestly thought it was better. Now, you know, this kid, to me, I after watching his film as a retro freshman, I talked to a couple people within the league. They're like, I think he could be a first round pick. I said, if he makes any kind of progress from his retro freshman to retro sophomore season, I think we're looking at a top 10 pick in the draft because his power and natural grip strength is impossible to find. You know, he's special in that regard. Good athlete, checks every box. He's going to be 21 years old. I didn't think he, I actually at times thought he was worse as a retro sophomore because his hand usage was bad. Mm-hmm. I, I think that was the problem with, with, with everything, you know, as a retro sophomore was, and it could be because he was so good as a redshirt freshman, he kind of mailed it in and said, basically, you know, the, these players in the AAC I'm going up against aren't that great. I'm just going to – I'm not going to use my hands. I'm just going to wait. I'm going to chuck him to the ground. I may get a penalty or not. But at his best, he is right up there with Charles Cross, Evan Neal, and um, hmm. um, interesting Aquanu. And Aquanu. Yeah, and you could argue that he has a lot of similarities to Aquanu, and he tested better. Uh, so I, you know, did I think they were going to make that pick? No, I thought they would have taken Jermaine Johnson. You know, they need a pass rusher. Um, but to me, to be able to plug him in at left guard, did next you, to Tyron Smith? Did you like what Jerry did at the press conference, showing his list of his? I, I mean, personally, I, I I loved it because I got to see what a draft board looked like. You know, you always wonder like what a team like. You know, do they have like I don't know Cole Strange? Like, does every team has Cole Strange as a top 20 prospects or the Patriots weren't crazy or like how did teams in, they were pretty conventional with their board. You know, I thought they were higher on Tyler than uh, most teams would have been, but mm-hmm. I thought, you know, you can't find his traits round two or below. And I think you get to put him at left guard. You have Tyron Smith at left tackle. If he can learn anything from Tyron Smith, I mean, he's the best tackle, you know, that, that we've seen in a, a, in a while. So I think he's able to learn from Tyron play left guard. Worst case, he's, uh, I think a top 10 guard in the NFL mm-hmm. early on in his career, best case scenario, learns how to use his hands better, unlocks that natural grip strength and power that he possesses. And you're looking at a franchise left tackle by year two. 
So I, I think that it wasn't a crazy pick. Yeah, it's unconventional. You have Jermaine Johnson, who's an All-American Florida State guy, was at Georgia previously, dominated. His film's awesome. You know, you had some other guys available who they could have taken. Um, but I, I didn't hate the pick at 24. Uh, Sam Williams in the second round, the um, Ole Miss pass rusher, I thought, you know, was, you know, I, I, if his character was better, I, I, he should have gone there. You know, the Cowboys did it last year when they took Kelvin Joseph in the second round, back-to-back years, taking guys who were probably high second round. They like talent. delinquents, don't they? <laughs> yeah, basically. I mean, his his character stuff is really bad. Like, just, I, I don't know fully in depth, but everything I've heard was not like, you know, it's just overblown. Like, none of this is overblown, but he can get after the passer. Um, so, you know, they've already dealt with some issues with Kelvin Joseph this offseason. Micah Parsons had character-related things last year. Kelvin did. Josh Ball did. Sam Williams this year. Um, so not necessarily, you know, the, the best of things, but they got a talented player in the second round. I probably would have not had him on my draft board, but... They did, and he, he's talented. And they got Damone Clark um, in the in the on day three, linebacker from LSU. He was their other really intriguing pick to me because he would have been a high second round pick, but um, you know, a spinal issue um, caused him to fall. I thought he would have fallen out of the draft, but they took him there. And you know, wor- worst case, you know, it's a failed fifth six round draft pick, but best case scenario, uh, you're looking at a guy who who has starter upside. So I didn't hate their draft, you know. Uh, I, I think when you focus on the Smith pick, yeah, Tulsa kid in the first round, it's surprising, but um, I, I didn't hate it. Um, you know, the position they're in also, you know, they have a really good, they have a really good team. I, I, I felt in a really bad division. So I, I didn't hate their draft. The quintessential part is that they were drafting Sam Williams to replace Randy Gregory, who fell in the second round in 2015 because of character issues. It was supposed to be a top 10 pick. No, that no, didn't happen. So there were also a lot of teams that had a, did not have a, a first round pick. Uh, Arizona, the Raiders, the Browns, the Colts, a lot of teams that did not have first round picks. Are any of those teams that did not first round picks had great drafts that stood out to you with their value? Uh, the Colts, they always have a really good draft, you know, just sticking with day two, they had Alec Pierce wide receiver from Cincinnati, who to me reminded me of Michael Pittman. You know, you got him at 53. I, I like the value there. And then Bernard Raymond, who I thought would have been a second round pick. He's a tackle from central Michigan. Um, you know, he's on the older side and he doesn't have super long arms, but you know, I, I think at that point in the draft, I think he was picked 73. Um, they got good value there. So, you know, they, they just hit on draft picks. You know, they, they've done a very good job in the middle rounds. Uh, Arizona always drafts unconventionally. I didn't love their class. The Bears, um, they didn't address offense enough in my opinion. Do they ever? What? Do they ever? I mean, like, seriously. They drafted Kevin White seventh overall. Yeah, how long ago was that? (laughs) And what did Kevin White do in the league? Nothing that hurts. So, uh, yeah, I I, I thought a lot of teams, when you don't have a first-round pick, like, did I like – I love the Rams' first pick, you know, Logan Bruss at the end of the third round from Wisconsin, their guard. I think he's going to be able to be a starter in the league. Arizona, I feel like – I don't know how Steve Kimes still has a job. You know, he's been able to really just parlay – you know, Carson Palmer and Larry Fitzgerald and the magic that, that they had. And then you get the, you, you fail with Josh Rosen and then you get Kyler Murray who, you know, saves it again. He's done a lot of, he's done a really bad drafting. So Marquise Brown in the first round, uh, I thought was an, an odd, you know, an odd decision, but it's to keep Kyler around. Of course. Keep Kyler happy. Mm-hmm. They both played Marquise and Kyler played at Oklahoma. Why can't they do together. that for Justin Fields over there in Chicago? I feel so bad for that kid. 
They, they are, they're just driving him to fail. And I don't care what Keyshawn Johnson says on ESPN that he thinks Justin Fields is going to take the biggest leap. What the hell is he going to be leaping? He's not throwing it to anybody. He's better off throwing it to me on the field. I probably can run better routes than half the guys on that roster. That's horrible. Don't worry. They have 10 tight ends. They'll make it oh work. Oh, my God. It's horrible. I, I, I feel so bad for that kid. I really do. Because he is he, – he's just – Moving towards failing, and he's got a defensive coordinator as a head coach. Everflus, he's a good defensive coordinator. Does anybody think that this guy could coach the offensive side of the ball? You have to prove it to me before you can do it, and I don't know if he can. So that's just my opinion. As everybody knows, we are talking to NFL Draft Bible Assistant Scouting Director and Writer Jack Borowski. All right, so... I, you know, it's so interesting. You mentioned the Jets. You mentioned the Giants before. I, I, I don't know much about this kid Clemens on the Jets. The Jets got him uh, in the fourth round. Everybody says this guy is a mean sob. Uh, he he does a lot of things on and off the field that kind of have you shake your head. But when he puts on that helmet, he wants to rip people's heads off, and that's why the Jets love him. He's a leader. Played for Texas A and M. I don't know much about him. You're you're a draft specialist. Tell the fans a little bit about this kid. Who is Mr. Clemens? Funny story with him. So I, I've always been a uh, decent like fan of his film. Uh, I, I thought his tape against Alabama this past season when he was going up against Leatherwood and Evan Neal was some of the most impressive film I saw against two first-round uh, picks. So I, I liked him a lot. And then so I was at the Combine, and you know they have Exos, which is a training facility. They have them all over, so – um, Exos, what they do at the combine is they rent out a room at the hotel, like on the basement floor. And that's where guys warm up for, for, you know, for when they then go off to, uh, Lucas oil stadium to, to participate. And so, you know, I, I'm in that room and I see this guy who arms are down to his knees. He is shredded. Like I've never seen anyone Nose rig looks like he's about to kill someone. I like that dude looks like a first round pick. So I asked someone, who is that? They're like Michael Clemens. And, and I'm sold on him after seeing that, you know, he looked like what you see when you look at like defensive ends, James Harrison, Cod, someone who looks like he's determined to rip your head off. His tape's really good. Uh, you know, injury history, old age. That's what, you know, hurt him. But, you know, you want a guy who I think could be a uh, situational pass rusher. He's powerful. He's got a high motor. You know, for the fourth round, I thought, you know, I thought he would have gotten the third. You know, mm. so I thought that was solid value there. And, you know, there are questions off the field as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, That's I'm what not they say. super familiar with them, similar to a lot of prospects. These teams do uh, more than I do. They say but, he's got know, a bad temper. That's what they say. And,. They say that uh, when he gets angry, it's going to take like a team to hold him back, and you know that that that's that's the type of player that he is. But he's a good team leader. He's a team player, and he'll he'll back up any one of those players. And the Jets want to be mean. I mean, the Baltimore Ravens, why they were so good over the years, and that's where Joe Douglas comes from. That's that that's that 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 type of background. You know, his alma mater, whatever they call it, is his is is past. He comes from that Aussie type of. You know, drafting board and and this kid, this kid they say is is everything that you expect a an Ozzy Newsom to draft. So I, I mean, that's that that by itself could tell you who he is as a player and what he could be for the New York Jets. So that's a good sign. I didn't know anything about him, but a lot of people loved the pick at, in the fourth round. So I'm very interested to see what this kid could turn out to be as an NFL player. 
So you were actually, uh, the last time we had on the show, the big uh, Darian Beavers stand is one of your sleepers. He goes to the Giants in the sixth round. My New York Giants. What do you think of that kind of fit? (laughs) Uh, I I think it was a really good value pick because the Giants, day two and early day three, were making some decisions that I was stunned with. You know, Mm -hmm. obviously it started with Wondell Robinson. Then they took two guards from North Carolina who I I think they took around I mean, I thought they took Marcus McKeith in, in the fifth round. Well, I, I thought, yeah, I, I could see him getting, you know, a, a free agent pickup, but nowhere near that kind of value. And then uh, Josh Ezudo, I, I think that's how you pronounce it, in the third round. And that's a, that's a high third round pick that they're taking a guy who I think could be maybe a, a, a below average to, to average starting guard in the league. So I did not like many of their draft picks, but then they come back and they took Beavers. Uh, a sixth round, and you know he's to me very similar to Zayvon Collins. You know, I I, I think that they share a, a, a lot of similarities. I think that you know they're going to get at least in a phenomenal special teamer who's going to play a, a long time in the league. Um, in that regard, yeah, I, I thought his testing was good. He's got really good size. Um, you know, people question his hips. You know, they're a little tight, but he had the fastest three cone of any linebacker at the combine by a significant margin. And then he ran the same time basically at his pro day and he was fast enough. His vert was really good. He tested off the charts. His instincts are not bad. He played at a big time school, looked good against teams like Alabama. Uh, I don't know why he fell that far. I was surprised he got out of the fourth round um, and could have seen him go day two with, you know, some of the linebackers. That, that that were picked um so I, I thought they got great value there and he was my favorite pick outside of the first round for them uh you know in worst case you know if there's something there that you know he's just missing which is why he fell um i, I still think they're going to get a great special teamer which we saw teams like washington take percy butler the safety from louisiana in the fourth round who was a special teamer only in my opinion so um I thought that was great value where they got him. We are talking to <laughs> we are talking to NFL Draft Bible Assistant Scouting Director and Writer Jack Borowski. Uh, the first quarterback off the board was Kenny Pickett. I predicted that to happen. I mean, a lot of people thought that the Steelers were going to go after Malik. Malik fell all the way to the third round. A lot of people were surprised. Tennessee drafts him. You heard what ja- obviously Tannehill said at his press conference. Really, I guess throwing Malik under the bus. I have no idea what. What Tannehill, you're a veteran quarterback. You would expect a veteran quarterback saying, uh, you know, hopefully he learns a little bit from me. I'd like to help him grow as a, as a quarterback. That's what most veteran quarterbacks would say. But he got very personal about it, and you, you could see you know, we're, we're, fi- we're fighting for the same spot, whatever. What were your thoughts about the quarterbacks and where they fell? Uh, were you surprised Tannehill t- took a shot at Malik? And do you think the Steelers got it right with Kenny Pickett? Yeah, I'll start with the Tannehill thing. Yeah, it makes no sense why he'd say that. Like, I've I've heard a lot of stories of quarterbacks who, like, just aren't good dudes and don't want to help the guys who are younger. And that's totally fine. But you don't got to say it. Like, no one – like, Malik's not going to go to the press in, like, three months and be like, yeah, Tannehill said he was going to help me and he didn't. So I don't like the – like, he's not going to say anything. You know, I don't know why he felt the need to say anything that he Because he's a punk, and I hope he loses his job. He's a punk. That's yeah, it. no, I, I didn't think it was because Malik I mean, didn't say anything. Of- they asked Malik, 
you know, what did he, what did he think what Tannehill said? And he said, listen, he's got his own opinions towards what he wants. I respect him, and I, I hope to learn I learn something that I see when he when he's practicing on the field. Malik was being very professional about it. This mo, this sob, he's complaining and bitching, dude. Play your game. You, you've been on this team for two years. You couldn't get this team over the hump. As talented it was, you had A.J. Brown and Julio Jones and all the weapons you had last year, maybe not the whole season. You still failed. And, and you had Derrick Henry, arguably the best back in all of football. Don't bitch and moan because they went after a quarterback because you couldn't do it. So that's what I would have said to him if I was a press guy sitting around right there. Stop bitching and moaning about a quarterback. That, it wasn't his fault he was drafted. It wasn't his fault. Yeah, you know, I, I I don't get it. It was dumb. Unfortunately, I don't think Willis is taking his job. I mean, Tannehill didn't make the playoffs last year. And I do. Third round pick. I think he's going to take his job. I I would. I mean, it's more exciting. I mean, Tannehill's not a really fun player, but you know, go back to you know the quarterback class. I wasn't a fan of Malik Willis at all this past summer. With Spencer Rattler, Sam Howell oh, were God. the top two. Everyone else was a uh, you know a project. Desmond Ritter. Carson Strong, Kenny Pickett wasn't even on the radar. Malik Willis project as well. So you had Strong, Willis, and, and Ritter as these projects, and you had Howell Rattler. Rattler, you know, oh, falls God. off a cliff, gets benched. Good, he did, belongs off a cliff. I hate him. I can't wait <laughs> so, till he gets drafted next year and he fails in the NFL. Him and his 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 bragging family. I watched him in that stupid show, and you want to know something? He he's pathetic, and you know what? He could say whatever he wants. He can go to South Carolina. He can go to North Carolina. He can go to Alabama. He'll still fail in the NFL because a punk like that don't belong in the NFL. So Rattler gets benched. He's off the grid. Howell plays worse because his weapons aren't that good, and he's just not super talented. You know, he's really solid in terms of accuracy, but holds on to the ball too long. Rushed for a lot of yards, but isn't really that athletic and just isn't anything special. You know, Strong was terrible. Ritter improved a lot. He probably improved the mm-hmm. more than anyone. And then Willis, t- I thought, took a step back. You know, I had Willis as I had him as a second round grade um, g- going into the season, a high two actually. Then I had a third round grade on him where he was drafted after the season. And then Kenny Pickett shot up and um, was considered the top quarterback. So it was like a picket. Then you know you had Matt Corral as well, who I didn't mention, but he kind of you know he progressed a little bit. Then you had Ritter, Strong. Howell kind of grouped together, and Willis was the sixth. Senior Bowl comes, and all of a sudden, Malik Willis jumps to, like, one or two because he had a solid day in the rain. Like, <laughs> you didn't watch his games against Louisiana Monroe and Middle Tennessee State where he had three interceptions in both of them. Ole Miss, you know, you had him against Corral, and, yes, Ole Miss, Power 5 defense going up against Willis. He can't read a field. And the thing that worried me the most was what you had to be able to do, which – for your Jets fan, Zach Wilson struggled last year, is see a guy open even if he's not open. Malik Willis could not do that. The guy had to be wide open for him. He couldn't throw anyone open. He wasn't confident enough to throw the ball unless someone was open. And he just didn't do a great job of reading the defense, which a lot of quarterbacks struggle with, and which is why a lot of them aren't first-round picks. you know. And he, he is, does not have natural accuracy-wise. He's not the runner of Lamar Jackson. He couldn't beat out Bo Nix at Auburn, transfers to Liberty. Like, if I put, um, you know, Matt Corral on Liberty's team, is he throwing for 100 touchdowns and zero intercept? Like, you know, how does this work? You put Sam Howell on Liberty. You know, you know the good team he played this season, he wasn't that great against. He was actually horrible. And then people just, because he looked good in shorts and a T-shirt, and he wasn't even that good, they just shot him up to the first round. And he ended up 
like reaching as high as second overall um, to the Lions in some mock drafts. You know, I always had a third round grade on him. Like, by the I way, think, by the way, I think Desmond Ritter is going to be the best quarterback in this draft class. I, I called I'm not it. Gonna say you're crazy for that. You know, I I had a third round grade on Ritter over the summer. Stuck stuck with a third round grade on him. I I um, think he's I think he's going to be a star quarterback. He, a little bit behind Mariota for maybe a year or two. He's going to take over with that Atlanta team with that. That strength and, and they love and they want this like move you know this mobile quarterback Ritter fits the and I think he's more accurate than Lamar Jackson so I think he's gonna I think he's gonna be a good quarterback in this league I really do he he checks all the boxes of a successful quarterback he's tall enough he's a winner in college he's super mature he has the experience he has enough arm strength he has enough mobility the main concern is that he doesn't have the natural accuracy. But, you know, I didn't think Dak Prescott did. Neither did Lamar. And look yeah. what Lamar has done. So, <laughs> so no, I, I, I'm not going to sit there and say he won't be the best, but uh, won't be or will be the best. He checks a lot of boxes that, you know, seem to be successful in the league. To me, Kenny Pickett, was, I, I thought he was great value at 20. Mm. You know, I, I think he's a really good quarterback. I mm. think he's super accurate, all levels of the field. I think, you know, if you look at, you know, 10-yard split for a quarterback, that's the first 10 yards you're running. Which, for the most part, unless you are an exceptional runner, that's all you're going to be running for. You know, he was, I think, 0.02 slower than Ritter and the second fastest 10-yard split in the entire class. Um, you know, I think he – winner, experience, uh, same things that Ritter had. I, I just think he's more accurate. Um, and I didn't think he – I thought he was great within the pocket, great outside the pocket. I think some of the question marks um, you have with him are decision-making at times, um, you know, he threw some um, wild passes that I didn't think were awesome. Um, does he have, he doesn't have elite level tools, but I think he, you know, he's got that moxie. He's got everything you want in a quarterback and he stays in Pittsburgh. So there's going to be no adjustment to the city and, 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 and the life that comes with being a franchise quarterback. I think he can handle it. He's got Najee Harris. He's got four or five good receivers at this point, Pat Fryermuth at tight end, a good enough offensive line for what the kind of player he is. He's similar to Joe Burrow in the regard that Joe Burrow didn't have a good offensive line in college. Didn't have one in the NFL. I think both of them can succeed because of their play styles with lesser groups. And he's got a really solid defense outside of the cornerback room. So to me, I think that Kenny Pickett was a home run pick. If you can get a franchise quarterback at 20, uh, I thought he was, uh, you know, I had him graded higher than Mac Jones and Mac Jones was successful as a rookie. I think he's going to be a really solid starter. And, and I think that I thought that was a great pick at 20. If he doesn't hit, you know, he wasted the 20th pick on it. It's not like they traded three first round picks like the 49ers did a year before. They sat there at 20, waited, and they took a guy who I had as my top quarterback in the class. The only guy I had a first round grade on. I had him one. Then I had Ritter and Willis and Corral in the third round, which they all went. And then I had Howell as an early fourth right oh. behind them. I thought Howell was great value in the fifth round and didn't really like any quarterback outside of that. But, you know, I, I think people talk it's not a good quarterback class. I think Pickett's a starter. I think that Willis, Ritter, or Corral, one of them is going to develop into a starter. Oh. I mean, how many – you don't get two starting quarterbacks in every class. So, no. you know, it's crazy to say that. But I think two of them develop into starters in the league, which is good enough. Pittsburgh, you guys should be happy. Atlanta, you guys should be happy. Carolina, you guys should be happy. And Tennessee, um, I, I think they should be happy as well. I don't think anyone overdrafted a quarterback. I think they all got great value, and they're all in great spots. 
So, besides Darian Beavers, one value pick that you really liked in maybe a day three or even like a third round pick, and one reach that was the biggest one in the draft for you. Uh, the biggest reach in the draft. That's a good one. I'll start with, I'll start with reach because, um, you know, I, I think you have reaches early on in, in the draft. I didn't think so this year too much. Um, you know, in, in, in terms of reach picks, I, I would say, I mean, uh, as you, I think every Patriots draft pick, I'm going to just say it, Patriots class was a reach. I, as you go top to bottom, I thought, I mean, they took like two running backs, Pierre Strong in the fourth round and Kevin Harris in the sixth. thought both of them were reach picks. I thought Cole Strange in the first was a reach. I thought Tyquan Thornton in the second was a reach. Marcus Jones in the third, the Houston cornerback, wasn't necessarily a reach. And then they came back and they took Jack Jones in the fourth, the Arizona State cornerback, who I was stunned was going to get drafted. They took him in the fourth round. So they think this guy's going could potentially be a starter. I did not see that. So I'm going to say the Patriots' entire class. Hard to choose a reach. I'll choose one for you Giants fans. Wandale Robinson in the second round was a wow reach. With George Pickens, Alec Pierce, Sky Moore on the board, you guys decided to take a receiver. I thought would have gone in the fourth round if you didn't take him in the second. I was stunned by that pick. It was like, you know, the Cole Strange one shocked me. That one was a stunner as well. I thought those two were really big surprises. And then, you know, I'll choose a guy, pick 32, Louis C. And I think he's a top five player in the draft, the Georgia safety. Uh, Cowboys had him 13 on their board, so they they weren't too off from where I have him. But I think he's going to be a Pro Bowl caliber player early on. I know he plays safety, but to get a guy like that at 32, when I thought that you know a team should have taken him in the top 20, and he's not that far off from Kyle Hamilton, the way he tested running sub 4-4 with the best broad jump in the draft, awesome vertical, he's six foot two. I mean, if you put him and Kyle Hamilton's testing numbers next to each other, you say, holy cow, Lewis seems a way better athlete. And if you look at their instincts as well, mm. Lewis's instincts are better. So, you know, I think Hamilton's obviously the better player, but I don't think, you know, Hamilton to me was the best player in the draft. Even after that 40 time, he's going to be, you know, I think potentially the best safety, but I think Lewis seems going to be, you know, uh, up there with him and Derwin James and some of those other guys. So I thought that was good value at 32. Well, Mr. Borowski, Borowski, uh, we really appreciate you joining us. You're awesome. Uh, We definitely want to get you on as the season starts to get closer. We'll talk about OTAs and some of these young players and where you believe they're going to be this year as a rookie. Um, You're very educated when it comes to the draft and figuring out, Who's going to be good and who's going to be not? Let's see what these players are going to be when the season starts and they step on a football field and have to compete against some of the best in the world. But um, as you know, uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, tell the fans how they can find you on social media. Yep. You find me, uh, Jack underscore Browski, Instagram, Twitter, uh, mostly post NFL draft content, NFL content in general. Yeah, definitely appreciate you guys having me on. We'll we'll see how these guys turn out. Obviously, the draft is just one piece of the puzzle. Of course. You can get great value, but, you know, we'll see how these guys play on the field. Thank you, Mr. Borowski. Appreciate it, guys. As everybody knows, we were talking to NFL Draft Bible Assistant, Scouting Director, and Writer, Jack Borowski. Who's he working for? Sports Illustrated? Sports Illustrated, yep. Yeah, that's he's a young kid too, man. Good mm-hmm. for him. Yeah, he said last time he was nineteen or twenty years old. He, I believe. He, good for him. He's still going to college and he's he's working for Sports Illustrated already. That kid, that kid's going to be a star in the future. I mean, he's already going to these these. Uh, he he might eventually might be running an organization. 
I mean, these kids, they, they, they follow the draft very well. They watch these kids play when they're in, you know, in college and high school and really study these kids. And, and he was very interesting. He talk about Clemens and, and obviously, uh, he loved the Smith move. Uh, a lot of gi- a lot of Cowboy fans were so upset about Smith, Tyler Smith. But he's saying that he, he that he could be as good as any offensive lineman in this year's draft, which yeah. is crazy. I, I mean, if he's anywhere close to any one of those guys, uh, the Cowboys absolutely hit a home run on that. Yeah, you know what's interesting is he actually had to cancel last second of our panel last week mm-hmm. with our, with our four guys. And he brought up the Patriots and Cole strained a lot. And that, that, that old draft, and wouldn't have that have been interesting in the debate the other guys were having and with Jeff Cole too. Well, he said that he didn't think he was a top 30 pick. I know. And uh, he said that he was in his sixties and the Patriots were really reaching with him. But mm-hmm. we've seen the Patriots for years, for years, reach on players. And they were right. They hit on them. Now, first round picks are not, Bill Belichick's forte, he usually finds picks in the later rounds that they become players. And remember, the Patriots drafted two running backs in this year's draft. Right. I mean, they love to draft running backs because their, run, their offense is predicated on the run game. That's mm-hmm. what they do. Run first, run second, throw third. And they don't have a star wide receiver. They drafted the fastest guy in this year's draft in the second round. A lot of people thought they were reaching with him. Right. Uh, but not necessarily. But Bill Belichick is not known to draft wide receivers very well. I know right. Jeff, Julian Edelman, but he was a quarterback trained in, traded, changed into a wide receiver. Usually Bill Belichick goes after those speed demon guys, uh, finds him in free agency, and he turns him into a guy, a, a package guy that fits his offense. He doesn't really go and he drafts those wide receivers that are right. sensational. Yeah, you know, line ba- linebackers, corners, offensive linemen. He's defensive. Better with. Yes. Yeah, he's better with those corners. As... He's dead on with right. And those he drafted a corner too, right? He yeah, did. they drafted two. Jack was mentioning one of them, Jack Jones, and then Marcus Jones is the other one who could also be a he's a, he's like a hybrid player. He could he could be a receiver too, and he's a kick returner. I he... think Jack Jones is going to be good. I, I do. And Bill Belichick. He's usually dead on with drafting corners and safeties because he's a secondary kind of type of coach. He is always good when he comes to drafting those secondary Yeah, Cyrus Jones is the only one I can remember that bombed with them recently. He was a second round pick. I mean, J.C. Jackson was like a third round pick, wasn't he? Yeah, J.C. Jackson was a later pick. Yeah, even – yeah, most of even the veterans they brought in that were undrafted guys or like seventh round picks, they at least found to plug in their systems too. And even if they're like, even if they're not like number one or number two corners, they find a way to get them effective with the physical scheme they like to do. And that's how a lot of these guys, the, the Patriots always seem to have good corner depth, even if they don't have the number one lockdown guy all the time and they make it work. I mean, look at somebody like Malcolm Butler, look at even before that, even somebody like Kyle Arrington was a good slot corner. Like they always find pieces to make work, even if they don't have that JC Jackson or Stefan Gilmore type guy. I, I listen, I, when, when you, when it comes to the draft, it's a hit or miss. You're never 100% right, and, and you sure. don't know. And, and obviously, you heard what he said. He thought the Jets won week one, uh, uh, I mean, day one and day two. Uh, he said the Jets got the best running back, uh, arguably the best wide receiver, the best corner in this year's draft, and, and the third, or he said, the best pa- authentic pass rusher in this year's draft class. Mm-hmm. If the Jets hit on all four of them, I mean, Joe Douglas is going to go to the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I mean, like, right. like, seriously. I don't think all four of them are going to be great. 
a lot of people think Brees Hall could be the best out of all these picks. And and what he did for Iowa State and, and coming into the NFL, yes, he's got a lot of tread on those legs, but he fits the mold of an NFL player, a three-down back, power back. He can run on the outside. He can catch the ball. He can right. do everything. So uh, the Jets got a really good value in the second round. Now, I know Jeff was telling me none of these running backs should have been drafted in the first round, but the Jets were trying to trade up for Brees Hall to get him in the first round. They traded up with the Giants to get him in the second round. So the Jets had something on him that they really, really loved. And listen, if the Jets land three out of the four, and if they have four out of four, like I said, Joe Doug is going to be looked at as a god. He really is. And if all four of them become big parts of the growth of this team and the future of this roster, I mean, Joe Douglas is going to be a winner as well. So yeah. I, I don't know what Zach Wilson is. I don't. And, and I'm not going to predict what he is or what he could be. What I could say about Zach Wilson is there's no excuses this year. You have weapons all over the field. There's no uh, – yeah, Corey Davis has got to stay healthy. He's not going to drop the ball as much as he did last year. He's actually – he doesn't drop the ball a lot. Garrett Wilson's a guy that don't drop the ball. Elijah Moore is a guy that don't drop the ball. Denzel Mims, he wasn't a guy that dropped the ball. Hopefully, he's looked very good in OTAs, or not mandatory, voluntary. Um, OTAs, they say he's looked very fast and he's looked very good, and he understands you all. If, if, if he's really good and all these guys are weapons – and Braxton Barrios and all these different key weapons, there is no excuses for the Jets to not really take step forwards as, as the offense that they expect them to be, especially with Lincoln Tomlinson and um, and with the weapon. Makai Beckham, if he stays healthy this year, this is a good offensive line. So there's no excuses anymore. This is the year. If, if Zach Wilson doesn't take the steps as the quarterback of the future of this team – I, I could really see the Jets be looking for a quarterback in the, you know in next year's draft. Mm. And it's crazy to say that, but uh, Joe Douglas might not have a job next year, even as good as the draft was this year. If Zach Wilson fails, Joe Douglas fails. And, 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 and he'll be looking for a new job. So I'm sure Joe Douglas is hoping that Zach Wilson – that's why they made uh, – this, this year's draft was all about the offense, really right. was. It was all about the offense, and that's why uh, he did what he did, at getting the best wide receiver and the best running back in this year's draft class. Yeah, so. they, they, they supplemented it well with concepts they were missing from last year, too. Because it's not like Elijah Moore and Michael Carter were bad last year. They were good in their, healthy. Yeah, in, their, in their sample size because both of them couldn't stay healthy. Then Elijah Moore was out at the last of the season with COVID. So, so was Michael Carter. So they did, they did well in certain spurts this year. Elijah Moore probably in a little bigger of a sample and did better overall. But again, Carter had his moments, too. But they were missing some other concepts. Brees Hall has the power. Brees Hall has the cutback ability. And probably better as an all-around runner than Carter. Carter is, and then Garrett Wilson adds some dimension of his game that Elijah Moore doesn't necessarily have, too. So you add that to go along with some other concepts. Corey Davis is not the greatest all-around receiver, but he's a good possession guy when he's not dropping the ball, and he's a big body. That adds to that element. Denzel Mims was supposed to be that. We'll see if the coaching staff finally uses him more. I also forgot about the tight ends that they brought in yep. uh, in the offseason. Conklin and uh, Asuma and, and then Rucker right. uh, that they brought in from Ohio State. I mean, they are stacked offensively. This is a young offense. I expect these guys to grow in one another. And next year, I expect the next year's draft to be linebacker, linebacker, linebacker. That's sure. why I, th- I see the Jets going in next year's draft class. Unless they, they, they are drafting in a top 10 and, and Anderson falls to them or something sure, like that. Yeah. Where you're getting a beast of a man like that, a Carter or somebody like that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, I think that this year's draft class is really going to set the Jets up on who they are and what their di- identity is. The question is, 
uh, being that they're in a division that's very difficult, they are going to have to win. If they want to make the playoffs this year, they're probably going to have to win four out of the eight games in in this division if they plan to make the playoffs. they got to win four of them. Yeah. That means they're going to have to win one against the Patriots, one against the Bills, one against the Miami. Or they're going to have to sweep Miami. one of them, yeah. Yes, or two against Miami. Mm-hmm. That's the only way the Jets are going to make the playoffs this year. Because they, they four games there and then maybe winning – Six or five games outside. Yeah, you probably have to split the AFC North, which will quality wins there. They're going to probably have to win ten games because the AFC is so good. Yeah, I mean, unless you see a case where these divisions just cancel each other out, a lot of the case where, like the AFC North was this year, where Cincinnati won the division at ten and seven, and then the worst team was the Ravens at eight and nine. Unless you have one of those cases again, then they might be able to sneak in with with nine and a tiebreaker. I don't think they're making is. the playoffs. If it's a great yeah, it, it's year, it's hard. It'll be hard. Yeah. If it's a great year. If the Jets have an excellent year, they win nine games. That's an okay. excellent year for the Jets. I think it's going to be next year where the Jets are going to be expected to be a contender and a playoff contender and moving forward because that will give a full year with Zach Wilson and the weapons that he has. And then you're going into the offseason where you're you're going to be excited for the Jeff Van. Brees Hall, Michael Carter, I mean, Suma, Conklin, Ruckert. Uh, Garrett Wilson and, and and Elijah Moore and and Corey Davis they could drop and bring in another free right. agent or something like that and uh, Braxton Berrios and they have all the money they can in the offseason next year where they can bring in a, a linebacker a star linebacker right. and even if they don't they linebackers are something that aren't drafted early as much anymore either it's, you talk about running backs being a positioning that falls linebackers the middle linebackers inside guys don't go as quickly either just because pass rushers and corners are just so valued in today's game where Devin Lloyd was the first linebacker, or Quay Walker was the first inside linebacker taking off the board at 22 from Green Bay, and a lot of people were questioning that move. Devin Lloyd was probably the first one drafted in where he was expected to go at 27 by Jacksonville. It's not prioritized as much as it used to be where you saw Keekley and Patrick Willis, guys like that, go early in the draft. As far as the, the rest of uh, football, I wanted to get into this Tom Brady thing because, listen, I have a lot of respect for Tom Brady. I do. He's one of the greatest football players to ever play in this game. He really is. He's a fantastic football player. I guess you want to say he's the greatest quarterback of all time. Fine. He's the greatest quarterback of all time, if that's what you believe. But when I heard this contract, 10 years, $375 million, the highest paid contract in broadcast history for a guy that has no broadcasting background. I understand he's Tom Brady. That's fantastic. He ain't no Tony Romo, and we don't know what he's going to be as a broadcaster. But Fox took a, you know, they took a chance that there is no more Troy Aikman. He goes to Amazon. They're, practically everybody's gone to Amazon or, or, or different organizations now. And now you're sitting there. Fox is looking for the next guy. And Tom Brady, Tom Brady already admitted that he, he doesn't know when he's going to retire. He's got a lot more, he believes, left in him to play football. So that's probably two years. So when Tom Brady retires, he's going to go to Fox. He's going to be the voice of Fox Sports. I just I question the $375 million. There are so many guys that you could look at in the, you know, when they become available you know, in the offseason. What about... What what happened to Larry Fitzgerald? Yeah. I mean, he was he went to school for broadcasting. He's been wanting to get on you know a mainstream you know radio station or mainstream tele, you know telecast, and you're you haven't heard any Larry Fitzgerald. You're, you're, I think he has a master's degree too. Yeah, he went to Arizona. Pitt, yeah, or, no, he went to Pitt, but he went to Arizona. He finished his oh, okay. his master's degree from Arizona. Mm-hmm. So 
you you wonder, you know, when you look at where Tom Brady is and what Tom Brady is getting out of it. Again, I respect Tom Brady. That's a lot of money. Yeah, that is a lot of money. You know, guys like me are looking to get our foot in the door in the the industry. I have so much experience in broadcasting and radio and 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 play by play. I I'm not going to even get a sniff of that. I know I'm not Tom Brady. I know I'm not. A, I don't have a following like Tom Brady. But to to give a guy that has no experience whatsoever three hundred and seventy five million dollars for a ten year contract, it is ridiculous. I I really hope Tom is as good as he is as a football player as what he what we've seen so far. Because Drew Brees, he's been horrible as a broadcaster. Sorry. I, I've seen him on uh, NBC, uh, Sunday Night Football, when he's filled in. Drew Brees is not Tony Romo, okay? He's just no. not. At, at least when he's in it, he replaces Chris Collinsworth, so at least we could live with that. Well, hey, listen, and Chris, everybody still likes Chris, and he's still going to be there uh, for Sunday Night Football. It's yeah. not going to be uh, Michael, um, Al Michael. He's not going to be there anymore. Yeah, Tariko will take over. Tar- Tariko yeah. is going to be there with Chris Collinsworth, but uh, – Drew Brees, he was horrible. I I didn't like him as a broadcaster. No, no offense to Drew, I think he knows the game. He was. I, I didn't think he was bad as a studio analyst, but yeah, as a live broadcaster, I didn't love him. He was bad. horrible. Yeah, I don't like. <laughs> him. I just don't like Chris Collinsworth either. So I'm like, uh, he, Collinsworth else. is better than Drew Brees. I'm sorry, he is okay, as a broadcaster. <laughs> just get somebody else in there for the love of God. I, I mean, now you have Tom Brady with Fox Sports. I'd love to see what Tom Brady's going to bring. To the table. That's a lot of money to pay a guy that has yeah. no experience whatsoever. And if he fails, you still got to pay that guy that 10 years, $375 million. Right. Now, they don't think he's going to fail because he's going to draw a lot of people because he's Tom Brady. But it, there are not many Tony Romos out there that could just step into a booth and, 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 and just – he, he's just a natural at what he does. And that's why Tony Romo got the money that he got. Sure. Uh, now Tom Brady's, what, making like $30 million a year as a broadcaster? I mean yeah. – it's ridiculous. I, 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 it's unheard of. It, really, thirty-five million. I think he's averaging. Wow, it, it's that sounds like a plea of desperation. I mean, he wasn't making that much money as a quarterback. Never. I mean, thirty-five million dollars as a broadcast. It's a lot of money. I hope Fox got it right on this one. I, I really know. That do. sounds like a plea of desperation to me. I mean, think much. about it. Yeah. Let, let's do the math right here. I, I, I'm going to do the math right now to look at Tom Brady on and, and his and his money. Uh, it's it's a ten year contract, so let's say thirty five times ten. That's three hundred fifty. So he's making more than thirty five thousand. You're talking about thirty seven and a half thousand dollars. Wow. I mean thirty seven thirty seven and a half million dollars he's making a year for Ooh. the next ten years when he retires. Could wow. you imagine that? I think even just the quarterback con- contracts in general that only just got surpassed. With Mahomes' contract. That's better than Mahomes' contract. Mahomes is not making that. We, he's, that's, he's not 45. He that's, gu- that's guaranteed money. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, That is guaranteed money. Just yeah. think about it. But even so, like even if you're ju- just judging the average annual value, that only just got per year with 45 I don't with Mahomes. Care. I don't care about that because that was, he's not getting all that money. No, I know that. But still, like, just to put it in perspective, that's how much you're getting for a broadcaster with no experience. You're, you're paying a guy $37.5 million guaranteed for the next 10 years. Even if he fails, he decides, you know, they decide that he isn't a fit. That means you've got to pay him $37.5 million for five or six years if he fails. It's, it's ridiculous. I, I see Snug says money well spent. You don't know what he is as a broadcaster. He's never done it before. And to say that he just to jump on a mic, it's not easy to do that, Snug. You can say whatever you want. Uh, it's worth it. Whatever. 
it, it, you don't know what you're talking about because you, you can't sit and talk on a mic for three hours and talk football. I guarantee you couldn't. To say that Tom Brady can because he watches video and he watch it and he's a football player, he could do that. There are a lot of football players that have done it and failed. So to, to say that Tom Brady could do it, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to see it. 37 and a half, he better be freaking unbelievable, okay, because that's a lot of money. Yeah. To pay a guy that's never done it before. Yeah. It's my opinion. It just seems like a plea of desperation, no matter how well he does. It's like, my opinion. Yeah, it just seems like maybe they're just panicking with all these streaming getting those $375 million. Ten years, it's a ridiculous contract. You're talking about almost $400 million to a guy that's never done any of that before in his life. He didn't even go to school for it. Right. It's just... It's crazy. <laughs> right. I I wish Fox all the luck in the world. I hope it. I hope it works. I really do. Because if it doesn't, it it it, will, it could put him. It could put him in the ground. Yeah, they're taking they're taking a huge risk, and it looks like a panic move more than anything else. Not that Brady isn't recognizable. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, but... that's what he's going to draw. But he's going to draw the fans for the first. I would say first year. If he fails and he's terrible, are you kidding me? You know what the fans are going to do to Tom Brady on on, on social media? Sure. It, it's. And I'm not saying that he'll fail. I don't. Tom Brady. We don't, yeah, we just don't know. Tom Brady doesn't fail in anything that he does. But again, he's never done this before in his life. In his life, and you you have him you have him going and talking on national TV as the face of your organization for play by play. Good luck. He's also not like a guy that's always in those commercials either. Or no. As a like a public guy with, with concerts and shows it would and scare stuff me. like that. Like Peyton Manning was all over the place with that. I could see him being a great broadcaster with that kind of thing with his And he doesn't want to do it. And he really doesn't want to do it. Yeah, no, I know that. I'm just saying if like if he if he wanted to do that, I could see him being good at that kind of thing because of the personality. Like Tom Brady doesn't really come off as that. Tom Brady you always see him heated on the sideline, yelling at his teammates and all that stuff. Like he doesn't seem like that like knows how to make money, that's I for mean, sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but <laughs> whoever, whoever negotiated this deal is a friggin' like superstar. I uh, mean, seriously. Yeah, well, for for Brady's perspective, I guess from his, I mean, he gets any credit for it, but from the networks, yeah, with all these streaming services now taking. But he over, does deserve uh, it. He's become he's one of the greatest of ever of all time. If you want to say he's the greatest quarterback to ever play the game, that's fine. It, it, obviously, he earned the money that they're giving him, but I just I think it's crazy. I would have given him Tony Romo money. I would have said, okay, okay, I'll give you $20 million a year for the next five years. Show me that you could do this for five years, and then I'll, I'll extend you another five years. You gave him a 10-year deal. <laughs> Here, I'm going to give you a 10-year deal, $37.5 million. I'm giving that to you for a year, for, for the next 10 years. Good luck. I mean, it's ridiculous. I, I just think it's, it's crazy. When I heard that number, I was like – Tom Brady is getting $37.5 million a year. I, what, 375 million? I, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's ridiculous. But whatever. That's not my money. Money well spent. It, that's, uh, Snug thinks it's money well spank, uh, spent. I, I think it's money well uh, gone. That's what I'm going to say. Yeah, Snug also says they could trap Brady out at events and sell them out. He's yeah, worth well, it. Yeah, well, I guess. And they I can mean, calculate an ROI on his name slash brand. He's worth more than just his broadcasting. Yeah, but here's the thing. You are going on national TV, and you're going to be the face of an organization, a multi-billion-dollar organization, and you have no experience. Yes, he's a name. He's a brand. If he does bad his first year, nationally and on social media, he is going to get killed. I'm telling you. We've seen this before. So it's not that I don't think Tom Brady can handle it and deal with it. 
it's not he can't just step in a booth and expect to be great. Tony Romo, it, it took Tony Romo a lot of practice to get where he is today as a broadcaster. It wasn't easy. It's not easy to be a broadcaster. It's not easy to talk on a mic for three hours, guys. If it was that easy, everybody would do it. And and honestly, having the energy. And by the way, I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus. But what we do here on this network, on this show, and we give the energy. We give it our all. And we don't get the respect that we deserve nationally. Nationally is pathetic. Okay? And that's all I'm going to say on that. I'm not throwing anybody under the bus. It is pathetic. Because what I see that's on radio today, it's garbage. And that these guys are... They're getting paid as much as they are and doing the things that they are when they're felons and they're horrible and, and, and their their content is just everything that everybody else is giving and delivering it to the table. It just shows me where the, this industry is going. This industry is getting burnt out. And that's why this industry is taking chances with you know future NFL Hall of Famers and, and giving, giving the reins to future Hall of Famers that have no experience. That's what I'm going to say. Because I, I just see, see this industry just completely falling apart. And I, me sitting here and doing the things that I do and how hard I've worked and the people that I've trained and people that have earned their spots on different networks, and I don't get credit and my guys don't get credit here at the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, it's despicable. Okay? It's despicable, and that's what I'm going to say. And I, whoever's listening, I don't care. You could take that to the bank. I've sat here long enough, zippering my tongue, biting my tongue down because of what I've seen in this industry. Snug says, yeah, but Romo blows playoff games. Brady wins Super Bowls. Now, Snug, in his defense, when he first broadcasted the Super Bowl, he did he did make a joke at uh, Jerry Jones. Uh, if only I could have gotten to one of those. If I, and he, did, he pulled that off very well. And uh, I think it was the Patriots-Rams Super Bowl was his first one. And he is... And I'm a Giants fan who always made fun of him when he played and blowing the leads in the fourth quarter and all that stuff. But he is a brilliant broadcaster. One of the best, like, most insightful color commentators. I'm just, I, I had to spit that out because I, I just, it, it just makes me sick to my stomach with all these guys making, and, and even guys from our network that have gone on with their careers and CNN. And we, we, I'm sitting here with all the, the background that I have and all the work that I put into this industry, how I get, I get pushed to the side because, hey, the industry is not ready for a person like me. It, it's, re, it's ridiculous. You, you either want somebody strong or you don't. I don't know what you're looking for. I don't know what the industry is looking for. You're looking for something unique. You're looking for something that's going to draw, not something that's going to bore you when you sit there and say, you know what, why am I watching this idiot talk about sports? I'd rather you hate me. I'd rather you call me an idiot and say you dislike me than talk about something and be monotone, monotone where I'm sitting there and saying, you know what, I don't want to listen to this guy. This guy's pathetic. Okay? And that's, that's what I'm going to say about it. I just feel it's horrible how the industry treats people. And you need to – I think people need to look at the big picture of what people could do and what this industry could be when you have people that are media conglomerates, pe- people that understand this, this industry from the, back of, you know, from the back of their hands. And I just feel like I, I just get mistreated in the industry. I, I just feel like I don't get the respect that I deserve. And, 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 and I, I feel that about a lot of people that have been in this industry that, is, that has quit on this industry because the industry brings these kids in that – you know, mommy and daddy, you know, have gotten them through college and put them, you know, put, you know, put, gotten them agents or put them in positions where they could succeed. And I, I just think it's pathetic. That's all I'm going to say about it. I have 30 minutes. I'm not going to go on a tangent about this because it just makes me sick. All right. And that all, that all stems from the Tom Brady contract. It really mm-hmm. does. 
So no. yeah, I'm not taking shots at Tom Brady. Tom Brady should make any uh, as much money as he possibly can. I'm not throwing him under the bus or anything. But they give him $37.5 million with no experience. He's getting an opportunity because of that. How about people like me who have been do- working his butt off in this industry for nine years, waiting for his opportunity to, get, to really spark in the industry and give the industry something they've never seen before? I don't know. Maybe I'm just wrong or maybe I'm just being selfish. Anyways. Um... I want to finish up the show uh, with uh, some other stories. The whole uh... – now, for instance, the MVP situation with the NBA, okay? I know a lot of people on social media are upset about this. People looking at Jokic right now as the MVP of the NBA and questioning that the NBA voted a six-seed superstar player as good as the season was – they thought, a lot of people from Philadelphia thought Joel Embiid all season long was the guy. And throughout the social media market and Philadelphia's social media market, Philadelphia thinks it's an outrage that Joel Embiid should have been the MVP. Honestly, the person that I thought should have been the MVP is the Greek freak. Because mm-hmm. Giannis was the best player in the second half of the season, hands down. What he did with Milwaukee, from Milwaukee being a six or seven seed going into the All-Star break, all the way jumping to, what, a third seed? Yep. I, I think Giannis was, to me, the MVP of the league. What he has done has been sensational. Even what he's done in the playoffs, which doesn't matter what he's done in the playoffs. Right. It doesn't count as the MVP. But Giannis, I thought, was the MVP. But I'm not going to sit here and, and cry that Jokic was the guy. Jokic, look at the players that he didn't have in that lineup. That that lineup was a peewee basketball team without Murray and Porter. Both guys were barely there all se- Murray wasn't there all season long. Porter was there for a little bit. Only the, really the beginning of the season, though. <laughs> he was there for a little bit. It was all Jokic and everybody else. And the fact that that team was a sixth seed in the Western Conference, a very tough Western Conference it tells you what Jokic is as a player. And remember, he was a second-round draft pick. So, so for people to say, well, Joel Embiid deserves it. Joel Embiid in the second half of the season did not play as well as he did in the first half. He fell off a little bit. And when James Harden went over there, like we predicted, he was going to take a lot of the shots away from oh, of course. Joel Embiid. <laughs> and it affected him offensively. Now, that doesn't mean that Joel Embiid didn't have a great season. Joel Embiid was a fantastic player this year, and it was a big part of why the 76ers were what they were this year. And he averaged 30 points and 11 assists and four, I mean, 11 rebounds and four assists. They're sensational numbers. His field goal percentage, 53%. But Nikola Jokic, he played on a team that wasn't as good as Joel Embiid did. Joel Embiid had Maxi, he had James Harden, he had Ben. Well, Ben Simmons didn't play this year, but his and, and his roster, Harris, yeah. yeah, his roster is so much better. In seventy-four games, Nicole Jokic averaged twenty-seven and a half points, thirteen and a half rebounds, and seven assists. He was better in the rebounds by three three rebounds. He was better in assists by four or three. And it, what? Because he averaged more points, it should have went to Joel Embiid, right? Oh, and by the way, his field goal percentage was 62% from Joel Embiid's 53. That's a huge difference. And I don't know what Joel Embiid's three-point percentage was. I'll I'll look at it right now. 
Joel Embiid's three-point percentage was 37, and his was 33. So they're right there with each other. They're not even close. And, and I, I listen. Would I be upset if Joel Embiid won the MVP? No, I wouldn't have. But to me, the best player in the league the last two years, I mean, all around, is Nikola Jokic. He has been. And you want to argue Giannis? I mean, it could go either way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually think that I thought he deserved it, Jokic, to be honest. I, I, I know it's unpopular the way Embiid is playing now, trying to play through the injuries, and Giannis has been a, a two-time MVP already. And you mentioned in the second half of the season, yes, it was definitely surging forward, but Nikola Jokic is also the first 2,000-point, 1,000-rebound, 500-assist guy. 7.9 assists a game for a big man is insane. Yes, you want to say Embiid had more points. I think the difference with 30, 30 points and 27.9 30.6 points and 27.9 is a much smaller gap than 7.9 assists and 4.2 assists. I think it's harder to get assists in a game because the way basketball scoring works, like yeah, there's a certain amount of time that you lose the pass before it becomes an assist if the guy holds the ball. I think for five seconds or something like that, you don't get the assists. Yes, Embiid is more rebounds. Okay. Honestly, Giannis had a better season than Embiid. I would take Giannis over I would Embiid. too, yeah. 29.9, 11.6, and 5.8 assists. I would take Giannis over Embiid too. Yeah, and no, I, 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 that's my order. I would have Jokic, Giannis, Embiid too. I, I know you said Giannis over Embiid, which or Jokic is fine. I don't. I think those two are kind of interchangeable. But like you were saying, like all those injuries that Denver had to deal with throughout the year, and there's other teams that have been that low when it comes to the regular season finishes that have gotten MVPs from that, too. So why can't Nikola Jokic? Russell Westbrook won an MVP. The Thunder were the a Western Conference is so much better than the East. It is. It, it, it's, it's so much more depth. And the fact that Jokic made his team a sixth seed with really nothing on that roster, to Giannis' third seed and to uh, Joel's fourth seed, you're in the Eastern Conference. You're supposed to be there. If, do you know if, if right now, if, if the Nuggets were in the Eastern Conference, even without Murray and Porter... They'll probably still be a playing pro- team. Yeah. Playing team, they would have been a second or third seed. Oh, with oh with Jokic, yeah, yeah. In, oh, absolutely. If they were in the Eastern Conference with just Jokic and the team that they have, they, they would be a second or third seed. Mm-hmm. In the, without Murray and without Porter, they would have been a second or third seed. The Western Conference is so much more better. It's so top heavy. You got to play Phoenix. You got to play Golden State. You got to play the Timberwolves. You got to play this team. You got to play yeah. that team. Memphis. Right. You got to all these different teams. If you look at the, uh, it's stacked. Dallas and 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 Utah. I mean, Utah. Well, they're actually trying hard. <laughs> just saying, Utah. No, a I know, team. but they're, they're really talented. Yeah, they are. I mean, they were good. And before the season started last year, Portland was a good team. Right. I mean, the the, the Western Conference and and the Lakers are usually good. It, it's not. It, it's and, it's and the Clippers. I mean, you have to beat all these good teams every night, and you don't have the other superstar. You were the only guy right. on that roster. For that, yes, you give it to Nicole Jokic. Yeah, and I think as well, too, be, being that we've seen these other guys get MVP awards, even if their t- regular season team wasn't the best one, I think you could judge that on why it, or is everyone bashing this one, too. I, me- I mentioned before Russell Westbrook. Yes, Russell Westbrook got a triple-double first time in NBA history. That happened. I'm not discrediting him. I'm not saying Jokic's season this season was better. But uh, they were a six seed. Nobody seemed to have a problem with that. Yeah, there were a couple of people that said LeBron should have got it. I think there was a couple of people who said Steph Curry. But, like, 
nobody, most people didn't have a problem with that, but all of a sudden, Nikola Jokic, I don't know why, just because they're a six seed, now he's all of a sudden getting slander. Maybe Embiid's now all of a sudden with the injury. Now all of a sudden people are trying to come to his defense. I, you're right. It seems like it's mostly Sixers fans trying to attack him just because of now he played hard for the injury, put that series tied to two to two. Yeah, I get that. But yeah, his numbers, his scoring numbers, he was a scoring champion, but the rest of his numbers regressed in the second half. And that as a result with the talent around you too. And a team that was relatively healthy too, the Sixers. They didn't have Milwaukee now with Middleton being hurt and Mm. guys being out throughout the year and Denver, like you were saying, with all all their injuries, they didn't really have that. Yeah. They had Ben Simmons missing, but I mean, would Joel Embiid get any more assists if he passed the ball to Ben Simmons and he shot it? Not really. I actually think it's, it's, it's pretty pathetic. Honestly, it's pathetic. And, and, And to argue that Philadelphia fans, I understand you're upset. You haven't had a MVP candidate, for a very long time, and you'll want to see Joel. He's a fantastic player. And even Joel Embiid, he wasn't very happy about not winning. Sure. Who cares? Does the MVP really mean anything? I think you're probably better off trying to get out of your series. <laughs> That's what I would try to do, try to win a championship. Yeah. That's why you play in the NBA, to bring home championships to your organization. Being Winning a single-handed champion, you know, trophy – uh, do you think Nicole Jokic would be happy? Nicole Jokic would probably be happy he'd be fighting he'd still be in the playoffs trying to win a championship than winning an MVP. Okay? It's it's pathetic. And to cry about this and James Harden speaking out. James, just shut your mouth, man. Play the freaking <laughs> game and shut up. Yeah, talk about another MVP because you that want didn't deserve an, it. Because you want an MVP and Joel Embiid. Listen, Joel Embiid is so much better of a player than you are. So mm-hmm. uh, to, to say that you won an MVP and he didn't, that's a catastrophe. Yeah. Okay? And James Harden in his MVP year did not deserve it. He actually was third on my list, too. I, I thought Anthony Davis should have won, and then there were a lot of people saying LeBron. And LeBron definitely had a better season than James Harden did that year, too. I mean, look at the season LeBron had this year. LeBron, yeah. I know LeBron didn't make the playoffs. LeBron had one of the greatest seasons of his career, and LeBron, LeBron's one of the top five players to ever play the game. Oh, yeah. I mean, look at LeBron's se- season. 56 games, 30.3, 8.2, 6.2. mean, if Nic- Nicole Jokic, I would say, would, would, would beat that. But, right. I mean, he had a better season than Joel Embiid. If LeBron played... 12 more games. He did the same amount played as Embiid. So he did. He played to qualify for that. Yeah. I, I would say LeBron was better than Embiid. If, if you want to you put him on a list at the top four, top five, I would take LeBron over him. I'm just being honest. No, that's fair. I, yeah, all he needs to do is really LeBron play is 37 10 years more old. games, and you're, you're, you're going to give him the benefit of the doubt with that. More assists, more efficiency. He's 37 years old. Yeah. And he's doing this. He's not... Joel Embiid, who's 27. He's not Giannis, who's 29. He's not um, Jokic, who's 28, 29. This man's 37 years old and doing it. Okay? And that just shows you how different of a specimen LeBron James is to everybody else in the league. Okay? No, we've never seen longevity like this for that statistical level of a season. Yeah, they didn't make the playoffs okay, but... For that level of statistics in every area, too. It's not like, okay, he just scores, and that's it. Or he just rebounds, and that's it. He did it in every area at 37 years old. He's a pretty good defensive player, too. (laughs) I know. With a Lakers team that had, like, all career bads for a lot of those players. Anthony Davis hurt half the year. I mean, yeah. that's They didn't make the playoffs, and that's why he probably wouldn't be voted in. Sure, but... But for what he did this year, I mean, if you look at his career, that was one of the... This year is one of the best careers when it comes to... Yeah, it was his second best scoring season. I, I mean, it's... It's it's crazy 
for a 37-year-old to still dominate the league the way he has. And he might not be declared as the best player in the league right now. Honestly, if you would ask me right now, for one year, who would I want on my team to build a championship around? I'd take LeBron James over everybody. His, his scoring championship year in 2007-2008, he averaged 30 a game. He had more this year, 30.3. I would take LeBron James over anybody if I had to win a game or win a championship with somebody going into the playoffs. Sorry, it doesn't matter who it is. I'm taking the guy that's done it, and I'm taking the guy. Playoff that, LeBron. And you could put anybody around him. You give him another superstar to play around him. There's a very good chance LeBron James is going to win. Okay? And that's just th- – those are facts. Snug says, I was recently approached to do a half-hour show on the Food Network called Snug the Cat Cupcake Show. I will dress as a cat I and cupcakes over the U.S. Yes, you probably would. I believe it. No, Snug. Steph Curry is not MVP. <laughs> nice try. 27-13-8 is a big 10s to win you an MVP. Uh, Sacramento Kings. Yeah, when's the last time they had an MVP? Probably, I don't know, maybe not even ever in their history. Let's look at Stephen Curry's numbers this year. 25, 5, and 6. No. And he also had his most inefficient year of shooting threes, which is not going to bode well for a guy that He's getting older, and you're going to see him. You're going to see Steph age now. It's starting to happen. You see these young guys. These top end guys, remember, it took Steph a little while to become a. Yeah, it took him probably three years for him to become a star, and then probably four to emerge into a superstar. And he's from Akron, Ohio, just like LeBron James. Mm -hmm. He's from the Ohio area, and that's why LeBron wants to play with Steph before he retires. These guys have always said they wanted to play together. I believe they will. I I do believe. I don't think Steph will be on Golden State forever because I think Jordan Poole is going to take over Steph. I, it, it seems like that's what's going to happen. Jordan Poole is the best player on that team. Right you think now. he'll emerge into like an all-around point guard, though? Yes, like... yes. I think Jordan Poole is the future of that team. Mm-hmm. I do. I think. I think eventually Golden State will trade Steph Curry and try to get as much as they possibly can for him and rebuild. I mean, he's thirty-four years old. I mean, that'll be interesting. They have to use him in that kind of role to really get him tested as a point guard because Jordan Poole's never been a point guard either. Maybe he was in high school, but in college he was. Either was that. Russell Westbrook. That's fair. So yeah, they'd have to. Have either that was kind James of, Harden. They'd have to. Yeah, James Harden. Yeah, James Harden only. Became a point guard in what is the year of his career. Yeah, so I'm just saying they have to be have a plan to be aware of that kind of thing to develop him into that. Because wasn't Damian Lillard a shooting guard in, in college? I'm not sure. I think he was a shooting guard. Okay. Uh, I mean, he was moved to a point guard. So okay. was CJ McCollum. Yeah, McCall- yeah, McCollum was the uh, highest scorer in the nation in his last year of college, too. Uh, but, yeah, they have to have a plan in order to do that kind of thing, too, because Clay Thompson's not going to be that at this point in his career with all the injuries that he's had. And, really, they don't—they have a lot of good wings, but not, not enough on the roster that could be a point guard. Yeah, Draymond's not going to the ball up okay, but that's really <laughs> it. So they have to have a plan for Poole to be in that, for him to get kind of that kind of plan to trade Steph Curry. Yeah, and I think that will happen. I, I think Steph will eventually... Uh... You know, Steph Curry, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Steph Curry and LeBron go to Ke- Cleveland again mm. and, and try to win for Cleveland. Both both of them are from the Cleveland, Ohio area. Right. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. I, I mean, I still see Steph and, and LeBron playing together at least, you know, at least one or two years. And I, I, I think it will happen. With the bonus package of LeBron's son. <laughs> well, maybe. It could happen. <laughs> maybe. Absolutely. It could happen. Absolutely. Um to finish up, as far as the Celtics series, and I know Jeff has been waiting for this, and we'll talk more about this on Thursday. I do believe the referees in the NHL playoffs, in the NBA playoffs, have been horrible in the first round. In the NBA, uh, it seems like Milwaukee is getting the calls. They are getting the calls. Uh, maybe because Giannis has become a super, superstar, and right now Tatum, as good as he is, and J- Jalen Brown, as good as he's been, 
They're not getting the, the friendly calls. Marcus Smart is complaining. He's been bitching at the end of the game, saying the things that he said, that uh, the referees are out for us, and, and, and we're, we're, we, sh- we should be getting the calls just like uh, the Milwaukee Bucks are getting the calls. That's fine. That's grand. All right? And right now, this series is tied 2-2. Two to two. And as well as Milwaukee, you know, could be down 3-1 to one in this series. They really could be down 3-1 to one in this series. So could Boston. But to me, it's going to be who wants it more and who's got the best player. Now, honestly, I think, and by the way, L.A. is beating Edmonton 3-1. to one, And if Edmonton loses this series, mm. if they lose this series, they're going to have to do something in the offseason. They're going to have to trade somebody big and move on from one of these guys because McDavid will be there. But the Dreisaitl, I mean, you can't win with these two guys. You, you got to trade one of them. I, you can't continue doing this. Right. Yeah. Dreisaitl out. was on the trade block like three years ago, and that kind of died out for some reason. When Edmonton kind of been staying in the same place. Yeah, they make it here and there. They, but they haven't. They've won one playoff series in McDavid's I would, entire career. I would career. trade. I would trade Barzell for Dreisaitl. Yeah, I you would. should. Yeah, I absolutely. would. I, I would. Now, and I, I think Barzell is a different kind of. But I, I, I think that would be a good. A good trade. Now, Dreisaitl, you would have to treat somebody else yes. with Barzell, but not somebody big, like a Mayfield or somebody like that, and maybe a first-round draft pick yeah. for Dreisaitl. Right. But if I were the Islanders in the offseason, if you can make a move for Dreisaitl, and the Islanders make trades, the Islanders make trades with Edmonton over the years. They've oh, yeah. done it many, many times. I would not I would definitely reach If I was Lou Lamorello, I'd, say, I'd take a hunch and say, you know what? Uh, you know, Barzell is a free agent after next year. And I like I love Barzell, and I want Barzell to be an Islander for life. But if you can get a dry sidle for Barzell and maybe a couple other picks and a couple other players, I would do it in a heartbeat. Yeah, because you also have a lot of depth in the system too that you can make that kind of thing work too. And it's not like you, you don't know, want to trade too many players for one. Well, obviously, but you you also have a case where it's not like dry sidle is playing just with McDavid all the time. They split up deliberately, like the Penguins do with Crosby and Malkin, like we've seen Tampa do with their star players. So dry sidle's producing points on second lines and getting second line it's just players not working. that really aren't that good. I mean, Edmonton's flat flip-flop all these kinds of different veteran players. Look at all the draft busts that they've had that have been number one picks or even first overall picks that didn't work out there. And among that initial core that everyone was supposed to be like this dream team, the team of the future together, I think it's only those two with the two superstars. I think Nugent Hopkins is the only other one left. Like that's how many players they've had to replace. I mean, they're not winning right now. If they lose against LA in this series, that's a, that's a big loss. That's a big loss when L.A. should not even be there. They're rebuilding. Right. And they knock off a team that is expected to be one of the best teams in the, in the Western Conference. And they lose. And that just shows you the leadership on that team. You need to move on from that. But anyways. And, and Dreisaitl also, this is interesting too, for a player of his caliber, I know you mentioned in the Weekend Crunch mm-hmm. top five player. Oh, absolutely. He's only getting $8.5 million. You would think it would be more. <laughs> Every year is an $8.5 million contract. I would With take, the signing bonus, it's nine, but it's still I not would, bad. I would trade for Dreisaitl. I would. And if they're not winning and they don't win this year, I would absolutely look at mm-hmm. making a move for Dreisaitl. I, why not? It doesn't hurt to make a phone call and say, listen, uh, 
you know, what would you want for Drysaddle? Is he available? Yeah, right. You know, if if he's available, you know, you've got pieces. The Islanders just got pieces. Yeah. They don't have to give up a lot for him. You give up Barzell, a, a decent defenseman, and maybe a prospect. Right. You probably would need, yeah, you probably need, like, one veteran defenseman with Barzell. Maybe a, I don't even think you need, like, a high, high-level prospect. Maybe if it is, if it takes that, do it. But one prospect and then a first-round pick, I think, I think that'll do it. Four players for him? No. No, no, no. I, no, a pick. I would say Barzell, Mayfield, and a pick. Yo, I, you think just the pick will do it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the Oilers front office. I guess anything's possible. <laughs> you, you, you want four players for one. That's what you're saying. You know, I, I just said Barzell, Mayfield, and a first-round pick. That's a lot okay. for dry side. You think they should give up on more? Like a B-level prospect. I, I wouldn't. Think. That's four players for one guy. You're getting Barzell. I mean, Barzell's one of the best. He, he's a good center. Oh, he's of one of the best centers in the on, top 10 center in the league. You're going to just say, it's not like you're giving him shit. It's no, 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 nobody's saying that. I mean, yeah. Matthew Barzell's a phenomenal player, the top five fastest skater, and Scott Mayfield is a probably serviceable, I would say, second line defenseman. He's pretty young too, so he's you're, good. You're gonna, yeah, so you're he's gonna, a good defenseman. You're, you're going to get a lot out of that. They need defense. He's yeah. a good defenseman. Yeah, he'll he'll probably be yeah he'll probably be their main second line defenseman if he comes over there in that in that kind of hypothetical. But yeah, even so, like getting Drysaddle too for an eight point five million dollar a year contract has got to be a bargain for a superstar. Our player like that. Uh, I, I think that the Islands should definitely look at that. That's something we, we should definitely look into. Maybe we'll put it out there and write a story about that. That would be a very good story. It would. I mean, mm-hmm. especially if Edmonton gets eliminated. But anyways, finishing up with basketball, I I, I do believe that the, the referee calls uh, in the Boston series has been horrible. Um, I do believe that Boston has been, you know, tampered with throughout the, this series. And, and listen, we'll see what happens. That doesn't mean Boston... Should be up three to one. I don't blame the referees. I don't want to hear it. It's the referees' fault on why this series is two to two. I think this series is very even matched. I do believe that Milwaukee has the better the better player. So, and I think they have the better depth. I do. I think Milwaukee has good depth. Right. Um, if they had Middleton, this series would have been over. Already. Sure. I I really do believe that. But uh, if they could get out of this series, you have Middleton coming back in the next round, and and. I think Milwaukee will be the favorites if Middleton comes back. Even with Miami, even with Philadelphia. And by the way, Miami has not played well against Philadelphia. Yeah, they've gotten an offensive slump now all of a sudden, kind of like we were seeing with the Celtics early in this series. They just all of a sudden don't know how to shoot. And and I'll tell you this right now, and and you heard me say it. If the if Milwaukee gets into that 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 um Easter Conference Finals and and Middleton can play for that whole series, and Miami or Philadelphia wins that. I don't think any one of those teams right now could beat them. I think if that were the case, they would they would mull even Boston, over Philadelphia. Even Boston, even Boston right now. I, I I don't think anybody could beat Boston right now from that series. Miami just has looked like they're not getting enough offense on the bench. And Tyler Hero, who's been fantastic, he's been on and off in the series. So it's interesting because Miami's depth is very still good, very good to compete with Milwaukee. Victor Oladipo hasn't showed up. In the yeah, series. it just depends on which stars you're going to get to play well in certain instances. So far, Miami was able to overcome that, overcome that, but the last two games they haven't. So we it we'll have to see. Horrible. Yeah, we'll have to see if it's like a, just a slump or something like that because it kind of looks like what the Celtics did in Game One and kind of even in the beginning of the season when they weren't as good of a team and they were just relying too much on their defense. Miami can't fall into that kind of trap for that to happen. I don't expect it. 
it to happen. I think Miami will be fine, but I think Miami Milwaukee would definitely be interesting though because they they have a revenge factor. Miami uh, destroyed them in the bubble, then Milwaukee destroyed them last year, and then all of a sudden you're now dealing both of them ever deal with the injury management the way they have this year. That's going to be very interesting if that's the case. If it's Milwaukee and Philadelphia, I think if Middleton plays the whole series, they might even win in five. Milwaukee Phoenix is right now. The Phoenix Suns are up eighty six sixty three. It looks like they're going to take a three two lead in that series. Expected. Yeah. Uh, Dallas is playing unbelievable. And by the way, Luka Doncic, did you see what happened? Uh, I heard about that. It was a, it was a fan Paul. thing on Mother's Day. I didn't see the game, but it was what it was. The two a... fans that were messing around with uh, Chris Paul's wife and his mother are suspended mm. from going to a Dallas Mavericks games until 2023. Who cares? Honestly, 2023 is the next Make season. Make it longer, yeah. It's next season. Yeah, Who cares? Right. I mean, that's not bad. I mean, and, and, and listen, Chris Paul... He's a very outspoken person, and what he said about Luka Doncic, he's wrong. He's wrong. He says that that what's his name again? Uh, who's the guy that defend's been defending him in uh, in this series? Um, he was up for defense. Mikael Bridges. Bridges. He says that Bridges is just as good a player as Luka Doncic, oh, and yeah. that nobody is <laughs> talking <laughs> and that nobody's talking about how good Mikael um, Bridges is. And everybody thinks that Luka Doncic is that, and uh, they should see what Mikel Bridges has done to Luka Doncic. What has Mikel Bridges done to Luka Doncic in this series? Luka Doncic right now is averaging almost thirty-four points in this series. Are, are, are we kidding? Are we kidding yeah. ourselves right now? I, I mean, Mikel Bridges is a great defender. He, he's not Luka Doncic. No, and he's not the all-around. Player and I Luka love Doncic. Chris Paul. I have a lot of respect for Chris Paul, but. Come on, Chris. You 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 got to be kidding me. It's not like Luka Doncic is like a James Harden level defender either. Where you're gonna no? Okay, this is gonna be a flaw in his game. It was thought of that way maybe in the draft because of his of the way he played in Europe and stuff like that. But he's not like that. He's not a great defender. He's a serviceable defender. He does scoring. He does passing. He does shooting better. He's a good player Bridges. by Mikhail, by far than Mikael Bridges. Mikael Bridges is a good player. He yeah. really is. He's a good player. Good defensive player. I, I guess he's a decent offensive player. Yeah. He is not a superstar player like right. Luka Doncic. He's not. And then he says that people are blowing blowing up uh, Luka Doncic. He's he's not as good as people think he is. Get the hell out of here. Oh, come dude. on. Yeah. Come on. So, Chris, are you going to tell me you would rather Mikel Bridges than Luka Doncic on your team? Come on. All right. Let's put it in We're not stupid. Offensive all around, overall numbers. Practically double the points. 28.4 to 14.2. All right, you're priding yourself on defense. Luka Doncic is pretty much doubling you in rebounds, and then uh, quadrupling you in assists. All right, you're, congratulations. You're a better free throw shooter, 83 to 75. Congratulations. You got one significant advantage offensively on Luka Doncic. Good job, McCann. I Bridges. just think, uh, <laughs> I think it's hilarious. I, I, and, and again, I think, I think Chris Paul is so disrespected in the league. Oh, sure. People don't realize how great he is. But to sit here right now and, and, and try to compare Mikel Bridges to Luka Doncic is ridiculous. It, it's, just, it's a horrible take for him, and he looks stupid. And then that fan really got under his skin because uh, he only scored five points last game. Oh, wow. He, I, I think it was five points, if I'm not mistaken. Let me go. I, I'm going to go into the game, but I'm pretty sure he scored, like, nothing in that game when they lost um, – it was game, this game right here. Mother's Day was May 8th. Yes. yes. So Chris Paul had five points. Wow, yeah. yeah. Five that. points, seven assists, 
and five rebounds in 23 minutes. Damn. And that just shows you how the fan got under his skin from all that stuff. Yeah. And, and listen, again, you're, you're the superstar player on your team. Devin Booker, by the way, had another fantastic game, 35 points. Devin Booker is he's turned into a phenomenal player, by the way. Oh yeah. Really special player. I mean and the Kardashian curse hasn't worked on him, but <laughs> that's just another thing. I mean, maybe it's helped him. Maybe uh, getting laid by Kendall is uh, is good enough for him. I I guess. It yeah. didn't work for anybody else. Yeah, definitely just, didn't work for Ben Simmons. Definitely didn't work for James Harden. She went from Ben Simmons to obviously uh Devin Booker. <laughs> so she knows what she's doing. Kendall Jenner. I mean Who's next after him? I mean, unless they get married. It seems like he's really in love with her, but maybe she's not in love with him. So we'll see. They're celebrities. Uh, if they, even if they get married, they'll probably divorce each other anyway. Probably. <laughs> have a couple of kids, like all of them. I don't know, like Kanye West, five or six, and jump on to the next first or whatever the hell they jump on, the horse or whatever. Anyways. I'm not uh, going into that much detail. Why not? Because I don't really care, but it's just funny to say. It's just like all the oh, this celebrity marriage is—it's coming back. Nope, this one's ending. Whatever. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah. Um, as far as Jacob Degrom and uh, this last uh, last part of the show, uh, stories coming out from the New York Mets organization that Jacob Degrom is now on the transfer portal, which means, uh, tra- I'm sorry, transferred to the 60-day DL list, which. I would call that the portal where uh, he's on his way back, which means he'll probably be back sometime in June. I would say in the beginning of June. I know May is almost over. I mean, it's the beginning of May. There's still, I guess, three weeks left of May. Yeah. I I think he'll probably be back the second week of June. Yeah. That's where I think he'll be back. Uh, He's throwing the ball lightly. Uh, I wouldn't rush him back. Right. I would actually bring him back in July. Yeah, that's what I. That's what I'm hoping they're gonna do. At least consider doing if he's not ready in the exact timetable with June because June was the initial expected thing, the first week of June, and then all of a sudden, two weeks ago, these reports come out. They're gonna try to bring him back in May. I just please don't, please don't rush your guys back. You have so many pitchers that dealt with. Tommy John surgeries and all the stuff Noah Syndergaard dealt with. I mean, please don't do this again to Jacob Degrom. And I, I listen. Jake has got to be pretty, pretty smart with his health because right. a lot of people, a lot of Met fans, believe this. Jake's done. A lot of people. I've read. I mean, Dan Radziki wrote a story that he thinks Jacob Degrom is done. Oh wow! He thinks he's done. He, he thinks his. He's not going to be the dominant pitcher he once was. He's got shoulder problems. He's got elbow problems. Uh, and then I, I heard it from the Beav. He's saying that he thinks Jacob Degrom is gone, done. Um, there's a lot of people that think wow. Jacob, De- Jacob DeGrom is not going to be the same pitcher. Mm. I disagree. I think Jacob DeGrom has a good three, four years left in him. And I still think he's the best pitcher in baseball when, when healthy. So um, I, I want to see what he is and what he's going to turn into when he comes back. I, I, it's going to be a very interesting uh, story. And, 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 and Met fans are going to hope because if, if Jacob DeGrom is even – even a quarter of what he was what he was last year, I think the Mets have a very good chance yeah. uh, yep. to be uh, the best team in the National League. And we talked about this off-air, too. Like, Remember when everyone was raving last year about how he finally got the 100-mile-an-hour fastball and what a luxury that would have? And then he started to overthrow it. He had 28 of them in one game. I think there was, there was a record until it was just broken this year. And you have a case where he was using it too often and that's the same problem Noah Syndergaard had. Noah Syndergaard came into the league with five pitches 
and did not use him right and just relied on his velocity too much. I really hope Jacob DeGrom doesn't fall into that Snuck trap. said something interesting. Do they really need DeGrom? They look pretty damn good at the moment. Let DeGrom come back when he's 100%. Yes, which is understandable, Snug, but to say you don't need him is a little bit of a stretch because, yes. They need him if they want to win a World Series. Yeah, that's the, that's the bigger thing because you, you can't expect all these hot starts to keep going all at once. Somebody's going to drop off even if it's a little bit. You just hope that the Mets are able to overcome it with the rest of their depth and the strategy of the, the team, Buck Walter and all that stuff. Yeah, I would say they still need DeGrom, though, too, because you got to realize these guys are outside of – Carrasco and Scherzer are not length guys either. McGill, he pitches well. He barely he, he goes six innings most of the time, if he does. I think Bassett had the one start of seven innings, but that's really been it for him too. Yeah, they're pitching well. Eventually, those are going to add up later in the season too. And DeGrom is a good length guy. And yes, they because all these hot starts are not going to do that. They're definitely going to need it if they want any shot to win a World Series and get through those juggernauts in the National League. Because we, we don't expect the Braves to be this bad for long. The Dodgers are the best team in baseball on paper. You got the Padres, like, uh, like, like we were mentioning earlier, that have hitters all across the board, even with that Tatis mm -hmm. and they're getting pitchers back too. They just got Clevenger back and that starting pitching depth is looking really good. Their bullpen's really good. So there's a lot of teams in the national league that are still going to do well. So they're definitely going to need to Grom snug. That's a stretch. It is a stretch, but again, uh, you know, listen, Met fans, uh, Met fans are going to probably be complaining and, and saying things and wanting to believe things, uh, not to rush to Grom back and everything like that. Right. I, I think, I think that the true, understanding here is if the Mets need him, they got to bring him back as soon as possible. But mm -hmm. right now they don't. So what I would do is I would, I would rest him. I'd get him healthy. Even if he's 98% when he gets back, at least you have a 98% healthy uh, DeGrom, not a 85% uh, you know, healthy right. Jacob DeGrom. Set a target date for like the second week of June. And if he's not in his full recovery by then and his rehabs, then push it back. It's not hard. You have enough depth to make this kind of thing work, and you finally have a stable manager and ownership and hopefully a front office to make that kind of thing work, too. Because when in doubt, yes, they've changed trainers. Yes, they've changed GMs. We're still going to blame the organization for a lot of these injuries because the Mets, they have guys that are not injury-prone players in the past come in and they get hurt. So what does that say about the organization if they do this again? Anyways, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we will be back on Thursday, as always. Uh, who do we got on Thursday? Thursday, we got uh, Put on Waivers NFL Draft and Film Analyst Ryan Holmes, also a big Raiders guy as well. Interesting. And then uh, returning to the show, we had him on uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, Woodward Betts and Team Riserfall Fantasy and DF Analyst Chris DeBacker, a.k.a. Detroit Beastie. We had him on right after the Stafford trade mm. that time. So he actually was at the NFL draft, so he actually has some stories as well he wants to tell. And his, awesome. li his Lions were a very active team. Yes, they were. So we'll be back on Thursday, so stay tuned as always. Thank you to the fans. Thank you to, uh, obviously, Johnny Black from PrimetimeSportsTalk.com for joining us earlier in the show. And then, obviously, our draft expertise uh, Bible Assisted Scouting Director for Sports Illustrator and writer Jack Borowski for joining us as well. Uh, again, we'll be back on Thursday. Until then, this is Errol Marks, Speedy Petey, saying we'll talk to you then. Good night, everybody. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.